Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Running a business comes with pressure. Remote workforces, HR compliance, retaining top talent. You start to feel boxed in. Fortunately, there's Insperity. They put 30-plus years of HR service and technology to work, offering my employees competitive benefit options while lightening my HR load. Instead of obstacles, I'm surrounded by people empowered to be their best. With Insperity, nothing seems impossible. Insperity, HR that makes a difference. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18-plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. This is the Sons of UCF podcast, your place for UCF sports talk year-round. Now, here is Adam and Mike. All right, don't adjust your radios. We are back. Actually, radio. I don't know if you're listening on radio. Don't adjust anything, I suppose. Well, adjust, I don't know. We're back either way. Uh, Sons of UCF, episode number 114. Hopefully, it goes much better than the opening has gone thus far. Uh, my name's Adam, and as always, I've got my good buddy UCF Mike with me. Mike, welcome to episode 114, my friend. How are you? Doing great. Thank you for having me again. I, and you're, you're <laughs> kind of, I used to thank you every yeah. every episode, like in the first five episodes. I didn't know I was supposed to be on the show every week. <laughs> yeah, you're kind of the co-host. No need to, to thank you. Actually, the better <laughs> part about those is where I would do like a whole rant without you. And then bring you in like you were just waiting in the green room or something to uh, talk. So luckily we figured all that stuff out. Um, although the good news is no one can hear those shows. So as far as I'm concerned, that stuff actually never happened. But today's show absolutely will happen. And it's an interesting one. So we've, uh, we've got uh, we've got our staples. We've got Cow of the Week. I've got another new game. That's right. Um, you know, Sit down if you are surprised by this. I've come up with another new game. That's pretty much every game we always play with a different title. Uh, we'll talk about the the hoops team. We'll talk about some football news, and we have uh, we have the guys who created Dreamfield.co. It is a uh, a new service, a new site that uh, will be launching soon uh, to help support some of the name, image, and likeness uh, legislation that'll be impacting Florida. Uh, I know it's a topic Mike and I were really curious about, so we're happy to have uh, the one of the founders from Dreamfield join us to tell us a little bit more about what the hell all that means and uh, and how that could impact schools such as a UCF. So. A uh, interesting kind of interview, a different kind of interview, but uh, one I think and hope you guys will all find informative. But uh, 
Let's start with hoops, Mike. Uh, the hoops team finally got back out in the court. We had told you that the Tulane game um, would be somewhat in jeopardy, and it was, Mike, but it is still a little bit interesting on, on how and why that happened. Uh, so Tulane actually traveled to Orlando. Uh, it was scheduled for, what, a 7 o'clock tip that night or something like that, um, and literally like 3.30 in the afternoon, uh, word came out that that game was postponed. Um, no one really said why Tulane uh, and, and – and, and conversations afterwards essentially said, hey, we were good. We didn't have any issues. I don't think UCF's come out and said they had any issues. So still unclear why that game got postponed, Mike. But Tulane did not happen. So uh, we had to wait uh, almost a full week to uh, to get that Cincinnati game uh, uh, sort of off of our memory banks. You know, I didn't hear that Tulane said they were in the clear because I figured it was all on them. Yeah, their hasn't. We haven't heard anything about our guys. Yeah, their head coach Ron Turner came out and basically said that their guys were were clean. That they didn't have. Or, well, he just said that we don't have any COVID issues. We never had any COVID issues. You know, our our guys are testing and they're fine. So he seemed to allude that um, nothing was wrong on their side. And they came all the way to Orlando. Or we start? Should we start questioning whether? I know Isaiah Adams did not play this game against the Cows, and they said it was not COVID related. Yeah. Are we to believe them? And is there a reason maybe why we're only playing seven guys every week, every game? Well, I mean, I didn't want to start the story uh, here with conspiracy theories, but it's possible. I don't I don't know. There's some other thinking along the lines. I mean, if you really want to read between um, one, Tulane let their, let their players go home. Um, and so, you know, one conspiracy theory could be UCF was uncomfortable, um, even though guys were testing negative, um, not knowing uh, where they had been, if they'd been testing while they were away. Um, and so maybe that was one of the issues. Um, B, uh, you know, maybe it's somebody within a, uh, within, you know, the, the, uh, not the university, but you know, the game officials, somebody that, you know, potentially would be a part of the game, but isn't on the team. Um, so it's interesting, but yeah, I, I think there's still some dispute or still some unknown unknowedness in terms of what, uh, what really caused that game to forfeit. Or cancel or postpone, I guess, whatever you want to call it. So it's still a mystery to all of us. Still a mystery. What, do we have a makeup date now for the Tulane game? I don't think I've seen it announced yet. Actually, I was uh, I was searching to see what that looked like. I don't think I've seen that announced yet. So stay tuned. Well, yeah, that was kind of a killer. So we had to wait a whole week between the Houston game and then the Cow game. Uh, that affected our rhythm at all? I don't know, but. You want to get into what happened on Saturday now? Well, yeah. What happened on Saturday, Mike, is uh, UCF decided that we would go and play the Cows, uh, and it was a uh, it was a road game. We were up in, uh, uh, in West Florida, uh, Tampa's hometown team, and uh, like always, Mike, things for UCF basketball start off really well. I mean, we we seem to be a team that if we only had to play the first seven minutes of a game, uh, we'd be good. But uh, unfortunately, they make us play the entire thing. Uh, but at least the, the start for UCF was uh, was was pretty good. We went on a pretty nice run uh, right out of the gate. Yeah, I've been saying it all year long. We're the best team in the country in the first five minutes of the game. Proved it again. Got off to a hot start and then let the cows kind of get fight their way right back into it. I think well, what were we up twelve early in that game? Yes. Or so. Yep. And then they can't. They tied it kind of pretty much right away. By the time we went to halftime, we only had a one point lead. And then in the second half, kind of just let them do whatever they wanted to us, and we couldn't stop them. Yeah, down the stretch, it was uh, it was certainly interesting how the, how the game unfolded. But let's uh, let's start back off the top, right? So the news that you you mentioned uh, a second ago that broke um, as almost as tip was was coming is that Isaiah Adams would not be playing. It was announced to your point earlier as illness, non COVID related. 
so uh, no Isaiah Adams and uh, and you know Mike, this caused a little bit of a shorter bench for for UCF again. This is the, another game where we're only playing seven eight guys. Uh, so Perry Green Fuller Mobley and Mayhan got the start, and then uh, C.J. Walker and Jamil Reynolds came in off the bench. So a seven man rotation. Um, you know, it's I hate to be the the person who says, well, this is the reason why, right? But it it makes some logical sense that. You know these guys are playing. You know, uh, uh, you know a lot of minutes, and and you know USF the cows they rolled out a lot of different players. I mean they rolled out. I think they went ten deep here, eleven deep. If I'm doing my math correctly, uh, and at some point in time you just wonder will our guys run out of gas, and is that why we we start you know so uh, so hot, but to kind of fade and fizzle towards the end of the game. Um, you know Darius Perry played forty minutes the entire game essentially. Darren Green played thirty eight. Mayhem played thirty two. Dre Fuller played thirty. Uh, so not a lot of not a lot of breathers out there for the guys, and you wonder if that war is down towards the end. It's kind of like the hypo effect has on the offense and the defense in football, where we don't have got time to rest, and now these guys are not getting time to rest because only playing seven deep. Uh, it's uh, it's a questionable thing. Like, and like I'm asking, is there a reason for it? COVID related, or are the guys sitting out that we don't know about? Because I guess of that? yeah, because I... you would figure. Yeah, I guess why you, not get some some rest, right? Yeah, I guess that could be a possibility, right? I think strategically, the other thing you can think through is, you know, Dawkins is really committing to kind of like a, you know, a different style, a certain style of uh, uh, of playing, right? If you look at the the roster, we're not really playing a traditional, you know, two guard, two forward, center lineup. It's kind of that that term that uh, the Miami Heat uh, made famous, you know, back in 2012 and 13, which is positionless basketball, which essentially is you just play wherever. You know, and C.J. Walker with his length and, and Sean Mobley with his, you know, his, his passing ability allow you to do some of that stuff. So is Dawkins just committing to that's the style of play he wants to play and he wants to use these versatile kids to to move around and, and maybe the other kids don't quite match his his style. The challenge, Mike, you I mean, listen, I'm not saying that every team in our conference is great, um, but I think you're going to be hard pressed to go through a conference schedule only playing seven, eight guys a night. Um, you know, I just feel like that's just going to be a murderer's row after a while of, of guys getting, getting worn down, getting tired. And then Mike, you know what happens when you get tired, right? And you're not, you know, you're not as sharp or as fresh as you used to be. That's when the injuries come. And UCF has certainly had plenty of uh, history and knows all too well about, um, major injuries to our basketball program. All right. And is this Dawkins maybe not trusting the other guys on the roster enough? We, we thought maybe Jamil Reynolds was in the doghouse or what was his problem? Was he not in condition, ready to play? He wasn't getting any playing time. He got in this game only for 11 minutes. So put the burden on the other six guys to pretty much play the whole game. Uh, yeah, something to keep an eye on going forward. I don't, I don't know how we can go through this gauntlet of a conference and only play seven guys a night. Yeah. Well, I mean, you got to assume Isaiah Adams comes back. Maybe he's the eighth. I mean, uh, Dumbia got some minutes early on. He hasn't really seemed to play. Um, and so, yeah, you, you just wonder what's going to happen with the rotation. Maybe to your point, there is more behind the scenes. Reynolds, you know, not playing for a couple of games there was was interesting. There wasn't a ton of, um, um, you know, information provided. So so maybe there are some some greater concerns uh, from a health standpoint, or there's some things we have to do from a, from that perspective. But um, the other thing that was frustrating, Mike, is while certainly some things, um, you know, didn't go our way, we, you know, offensively, a lot of guys had a lot of struggles uh, in the game. Not, not of not the least of which was uh, was Brandon Mayhan. So he's a guy who was coming in. Um, he was averaging 20, 22 at one point. His, his average is down to uh, to seventeen. Mike, um, he took three shots, uh, two points, five fouls, three turnovers. 
for for you know as good as he was in those early wins uh it was certainly the other side of the coin this time around you're starting to see you know teams are keying in on him now right they're saying okay this this must be the kid who's their best player the kid who's going to take the most shots uh, and only getting three shots um, and, and two points, Mike, uh, for a kid averaging 17. I know we all have off nights, and the defense can certainly do some things to you, but uh, that was a that was a really telling stat. And it seemed like once he kind of got taken out of out of the rhythm, out of the game, it seems like he had a hard time sort of getting himself reacclimated, um, and just seemed like he was just off all night. Just didn't really have the have the juice, as hypo might say. Well, Kyle's made it a point to key in on this guy. I don't think he took his first shot until maybe the last couple of minutes of the first half. And like you said, he only took three the whole night. I mean, as he's supposed to be our leading scorer. He's got to find ways to get to the basket and draw fouls, do something. But And then it's up to the other guys, too, to, to open things up for him. And uh, we talked not so great about Darius Perry the first few games, but he actually – was our best player on Saturday. He was hitting some of his shots, uh, and Green actually was hitting some of his too. Green hit a few threes. Um, both of those guys were 23 and 14 points, but that was it. Nobody else. We didn't have that third guy. Mahan could have been that guy. Isaiah Adams would have been that guy, I guess. Those four guys have all scored over 20 points in a game so far this year, but only one guy getting over 20 in this game, and then the rest of the guys not contributing much. I mean, only 61 points total after scoring 35 in the first half. We went silent in the second half. Yeah, I mean, Darius Perry, let's start with that. He had 23 points. Uh, his first six assists on the season, he had, had not had an assist up until uh, Saturday night. He had six assists uh, against the Cows. Shot nine of 16 from the floor, uh, three of six from three. He was he was a guy who shot one of 11 in one game. I think the other game he was 0 of 6, 0 of 7. So he certainly had struggled with the shooting initially. But uh, he was getting looks. He was making uh, making shots on Saturday night. Uh, it's it's one of those things too, where sometimes you know you can tell Perry is definitely a, a guy who's a you know has got a lot of confidence in, in his shot and thinks they're going to always go in. And sometimes when when one of those guys makes his first couple of shots, you're like, oh no, <laughs> here we go, because he's going to keep shooting right because they went in. But he, I don't think we had offense without him. I think he literally was carrying us offensively for a period of time there. Curious to see if that's something he can keep up, and you know, can can the shots come? Um, you know, in rhythm and in the flow of the game, you know, can he keep that sort of, you know, that same sort of uh, aggressive attacking mentality while not shooting us or shooting himself out of the game? Uh, because obviously now we see kind of what he's capable of doing offensively. Um, can that be harnessed and throttled? And if the other guys around him can step up their game, you know, how can how can he be used to compliment? But um, he, he was by far the, the best knight out on the floor uh, against the Cows. Yeah, he, not even close offensively. He was the best guy. Mobley came out and hit a three to start the game right away. You figured, oh, maybe he's going to start jacking up threes. He only threw up one another one throughout the game. Overall, as a team, we hit 7 out of 19 from behind the line. That's okay, right? That's not horrible. But um, C.J. Walker, offensively, I know the guy is doing a lot defensively. He's getting a lot of rebounds. He's blocking shots. He's doing. He's very active. But he has not found his shot offensively. He looks kind of... I don't want to say off balance or out of whack when he's going to the basket, out of control maybe. Um, he has not looked good on the offensive side. And for after re- out-rebounding Houston last week, this week we let the Cows out-rebound us 39-33. And the turnovers once again this week killed us in some spots, 15 turnovers. And 
we got to start cutting back on those. Yeah, I mean, the, the yeah, two key stats for me that stuck out, um, the Cows had 14 offensive rebounds. Uh, that led to 21 second-chance points. Uh, conserve, uh, conversely, we had seven offensive rebounds, eight second-chance points. I mean, that second half, Mike, they, they just owned us uh, on the backboard. Uh, this uh, this Michael Durr guy, or, yeah, Michael Durr, he had 11, uh, 11 boards. Uh, Alexis Yetna, he had uh, he had six boards, two offensive rebounds. I mean, those two guys on the inside, you know, it seemed like, uh, you know, their, their main guy, David Collins, would drive to the hoop either find one of these guys, you know, underneath the hoop and for an easy layup or he'd throw a wild shot up and it would miss. And these guys would get it and, or he would get fouled. David Collins shot 15 free throws, um, on the, on the evening. He only made seven, but he still shot 15 of those. Uh, I found a new stat. I didn't, I hadn't seen this one before and the way it was broken down. Um, but, uh, one of the sites I was looking at, he, uh, uh, David Collins from the Cows, he had seven fouls drawn against him. Um, which was interesting that by far led the, led the team. So essentially seven times he got fouled, um, which was, uh, which, you know, again, he got to the lane when he wanted to, if it didn't go in, um, then you either got to the line yet or Durr were cleaning up the mess. And then every now and again, you had one of the, you know, sort of random cows, uh, if it was Castaneda, if it was Murphy, you know, they'd hit a shot and before you knew it, we were kind of down in a heartbeat, Mike, but how much you mentioned Isaiah Adams, how much do you think his, um, his you know his departure his not playing how much do you think that impacted um this game overall do you think it's a different game if isaiah adams is there absolutely the guy i mean it was a late scratch right we didn't hear about it until right before tip-off who knows how long before the team knew that he wasn't going to play if he just wasn't feeling good that day i mean he had a flu maybe ate something that was bad i don't know but i mean you you prepare all week for a team and you game plan for a team and he's a big part of the offense and to find out he's not going to be in there right before tip, that's got to have a big effect on the team. I would think. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, certainly he, he brings a spark, uh, to the floor. Um, and, and you mentioned CJ Walker, Mike, and, and you're right. He's, he's the other kid that, um, he, he's doing a lot of stuff. His ideal style line for CJ Walker is probably this year going to be, you know, eight points, nine boards, you know, uh, you know, three blocks, two steals, you know what I mean? Like that, that's going to be his role. Um, and you saw how well it played when everything else around him is clicking, right? When Mahan is clicking, when, when, when Perry, you know, potentially could be clicking. If Darren Green Jr. can, can click, um, you certainly see the role he can play, but offensively, he doesn't look like he knows, you know, what he wants to do. I don't think he's a three point shooter. You know, if he can't get to the, to the, to the hole, you know, then is he, is he settling for bad shots out of control? Is he, is he making pull up jumpers? I think, I think Johnny's got to find a more concerted way to get him touches and places he's comfortable um, just to get his confidence up or figure out what his, you know, what his shot is or where his spot on the, on the court is and see if we can't, you know, get him some open looks. You know, it's one of those age old things that you see the ball goes through the hoop a couple of times, you get a little bit more rhythm, you get a little, you know, you feel maybe a little bit more, um, yeah, and more comfortable out there. And, and, and maybe that's just where, where Walker's at. You saw he had this move on the base. I'm like, he had like an absolutely just ridiculous, ridiculously quick first step and got to the got to the hole um you know you'd like to maybe see more things like that if they can figure out ways to to clear out the side and and you know let him drive and, and get some contact yeah i mean the potential is there he he's a highly touted recruit coming over from oregon he was a five-star i believe right yeah and i think so yeah you know he's a talented kid maybe he's just trying to do too much on the offensive side maybe the defense just comes more naturally to him um but we have other guys that can score. Mayhan's a big time scorer. 
Isaiah Adams is a big time scorer. So basically we were without two of them with Mayhan only scoring two points. That's a big blow. And we have four guys that can put the ball in the hoop. We don't need Walker to be a big scorer, but anything he adds is a bonus. Um, just a bad night for us overall. I, the Cows are a good team. Give them credit. Yeah. They have some talent on that team. The Yetna's a good player. The, the Castaneda kid hit three threes on us. That Those were all killers at the time. So they made their shots when they counted, and you know we'll get to see them again. Uh, we split with them last year, too. Yeah. They're, they're, they're a team that's been on the rise the last couple of years in basketball, so it's not a bad loss. It's on the road. Um, you just got to forget about it for now, and we'll get a shot at those guys again in a couple of weeks. I'd also like to see Dawkins figure out a way to, to use Sean Mobley. I mean, I think we've seen so far he's he's a pretty uh, a pretty solid passing big man. Um, you know, particularly if he's got the ball high uh, at the elbows or free throw line extended, you know, he can kind of turn and, and have some guys run off run off some screens. And you know, you've seen him hit a couple of backdoor passes. You've seen him hit a couple of nice lobs. Um, you know, we've done that a few times, and then it seems like we get away from that action. And whether that's because Mobley can't stand the floor because he's in foul trouble, but you, you think if we can get that, you know, get Mobley, you know, free throw line extended. Um, and, and sort of let uh, let the let the kids kind of move and, and sort of uh, pick and cut off him. You know, can we spring Darren Green for an open shot? Can we get Walker a backdoor layup? Because um, Mobley's pretty adept at uh, at sort of controlling and handling the ball at the top there. And, and you know, curious if if Dawkins has more plays like that in the playbook, or if there's reasons why we get away from that. But it seems like it's a, a, a so far it's it's been uh, it's been a pretty successful offensive move whenever we're able to get in some uh, some set like that. I like Mobley, man. He's been impressive the last couple of day, last couple of games. Uh, all right, I'd like to see him touch the ball a little more. The guy's a great passer. So, where does the team go from here, man? We're three and three now. We got yeah. so excited to start the season. The Florida State win. We got that first conference win with Cincinnati. Now two losses in a row, and the schedule doesn't get a lot easier in the next few games. So we got Memphis tomorrow night. It's a late night, nine o'clock. Um, how are you feeling about the team now? Yeah, I mean it's one and two in conference, um, which obviously isn't isn't great. You know, we certainly the the, the better our record, the better our seed is. I, I think we're a team still very much struggling to find our identity. If you look at what we've seen so far, Mike, one day Brandon Mahan was on fire, thirty two points. You know, then I was, you know this game is Darius Perry and Mahan's nowhere to be seen. You know, Mahan's good, Perry's nowhere to be seen. Uh, Darren Green Jr. still hasn't had that game yet, right? We you know he's he's playing well and he's making shots, but he hasn't had that game yet. Um, you know. Isaiah Adams, I think, is just kind of integrating C.J. Walker. We just haven't put it all together. And I think that's the concerning part is, you know, when and what is it going to take for us to put it all together? Memphis is a good team. Like, they're they're always talented. Obviously, Penny Hardaway is their coach. Um, you know, they're, they're a talented squad. That's not going to be an easy game. And the reality is we just don't have enough from a depth perspective right now to be able to overcome a a, a really bad or, in some cases, a subpar performance. Right, so if Mahan, if Perry, if Walker, um, if Adams, if Green, if if one of those four guys aren't playing well, uh, it's blouses for us, Mike. We just don't seem to be able to overcome that, and so either Dawkins has to find ways to get you know these guys you know more looks and and you know more high percentage looks, or how do we get other guys in in into the game um, and get these guys some some run because we just can't we can't overcome if we don't have all of those guys really clicking at at their optimal level. Is this a must-win game tomorrow night? Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're one and two in the conference. This is a home game, and then after this, we have three road games, including a game at Tulsa, which we've never won at. And Tulsa's a good team; they beat Houston yep. last week, and then at Temple, and then at Houston. Yeah, 
followed by SMU at home. This is a really tough stretch. We have to win, I think, these home games, right? It does remind me of those years. You know, UCF basketball is kind of notorious for uh, ripping off like four, five, six L's in a row um, and sinking our season. It feels like we're on that cliff right now, right? Because you could easily see us losing to Memphis. Tulsa's a damn good team, you know, and Houston's a damn good team. So that's three right there. You know, and all we need is someone to trip up against Temple. Uh, and before you know it, now it's four in a row, you know, five if you count the cows. So I hate to say January 5th, uh, you know, six games into the season, seven games into the season, it's a must win. But, yeah, if we don't get a W on the board, um, it, it certainly makes the, you know, the outlook, the, the arrow starts pointing down a little bit, uh, which – to your point, it's such a bummer, man, because we I think we were all feeling so good after the, the FSU and Cincinnati games. Um, you see the potential, so let's see where we go. But you you might be right. This could be a, this could be a must win. Maybe that's a poll question we'll put out there. Is this a is this a must win for UCF? <laughs> I said the first game of the year against Oklahoma was a must win. <laughs> we didn't get to play it, or maybe it was the Auburn game after the Oklahoma game got canceled. But, I mean, it's not far-fetched to start saying these games we got to get because we saw the team on the road this week against South Florida, not, not our best performance. we got to win these home games and the tough road games coming up. Um, this is a tough stretch, man. And like I said, there's no easy spots. There's no four games in a row on this schedule where you say, oh, we're going to get a nice little streak here. So you got to fight and claw every single day. Well, and like, to be fair, right, we had the Tulane game that was, was canceled. Tulane was picked to finish last in the conference preseason. Now, again, we were finished to eight, you know, to pick, we were picked to finish eight. So maybe those things don't matter, right? But we play that Tulane game, right? You know, now we're two and two in conference potentially if you put a win there. So that, that does complicate things. We do get a second crack um, at Tulane. I assume that, that gets rescheduled somewhere down the run there. Um, so. You know, maybe that does help. So it's, it, it, that that does skew it a little bit, Mike, but it certainly is still a thing that, uh, you know, right now we're sitting one and two in conference and we've, you know, uh, yeah, Memphis is a good team. And if we don't figure out a way to put it all together, at least stay into the game, um, particularly down the stretch, it seems like that's where, you know, you, you said that earlier, we're the, we're the best, you know, first five-minute team in, in the history of basketball at this point. Um, we just can't seem to get our, out of our own way, you know, after the first time out. Now, we've had... Like I said, four guys, and even Johnny Dawkins mentioned it. He says he doesn't remember having four different guys score over 20 points in the first six games of the season. Um, who do you trust or who do you want to have the ball? It was, I, I think we all would have said Mahan coming into this last game, but now after seeing that game Saturday night, if the game's on the line against Memphis coming down the stretch, you need a shot there at the end or the last couple of possessions. Who do you want with the ball in there? Well, that's one of the interesting things about this, uh, this team for me is that, um, you know, probably your your best scorer is a guy that that doesn't necessarily handle the ball very well or that often right so you, you think about some of the you know did you want to do an nba comp right now right i'm not saying our guys should be this good right but you know when the lakers want a shot they get the ball in lebron's hand and get out of his way right when the warriors want a shot they give the ball to steph curry and get, and get out of his way um you know darren green jr is probably our best scorer but he's also not a guy. Is he a guy that we can give him the ball and get out of his way, um, or is he better shoot, you know, suited coming off of picks or screens or pin downs? And I think that's what's interesting about it is you're going to have to have a guy who can create his own shot, you know, get to the hole, you know, get some space. Is that Darren Green Jr.? I mean, I hope it is. And I think that's part of his maturation process on if he wants to go to the NBA, he's going to have to learn to be that guy. Um, but I, we haven't seen a ton of it. I can't. I'm not saying he can't. We just haven't seen a ton of it. I've seen Mayhan do it. 
Um, and I know Perry is not afraid to do it. So, I mean, I guess I would say Mayhan just because I feel like we'd clean, we'd clear out and, and let him work. Um, but I'd, I'd love it to be Darren Green if we can figure out a way to, to design something that allows him to be successful on that. <laughs> you stole the words out of my mouth. Perry is not afraid to do it, and I think he will take the chance. If he's got the ball, I don't know if he even gives it up. And he just tries to win the game himself. Uh, hopefully we're not in that situation. And what do you trust more, the team making a stop? Because I think defensively we've shown that we can make a couple – we can lock teams down for a little while, and we haven't been able to do it for a full game. But one big possession, uh, I kind of trust – I like the way we play defense. Yeah. And to be fair to Memphis really quickly, they're, they're six and four on the year. Um so they've uh, they've essentially you know split two uh, they split their last four with including a loss um, uh, I guess at home uh, to Auburn which is a team we handled pretty well they beat Tulane they lost to uh, to Tulsa and then they uh, they eked out a one point victory against the Cows so uh, you know they've they've struggled a little bit here down uh, as they've gotten deep in their schedule but they've already played ten games Mike um, you know they looks like their conference record really isn't any better than ours right because they've got basically a win against Tulane. Uh, and went against the, the cows and a loss against Tulsa. So they're essentially they're two and one right now. So uh, they have temple um, uh, that got postponed. So they're still kind of waiting around. So they haven't played since the 29th. So they'll go almost a full week before they, uh, they come to Orlando. So it, it certainly could be a good one, um, you know, and I guess we'll see, uh, you know, what, uh, what transpires there, but I, I think you're right. I think we've got to see a performance and you just need to see consistency, right? You need to see if, Mayhan's going to be a 13-point-a-game score, and when it's all said and done, then get us our 13. If Green's going to be a 14, then get us our 14. You know, we have to have guys who can kind of stay and maintain near their averages so that we have an opportunity um, to, to stay in some of these ball games. If we need a balanced attack, we can't just rely on one guy, two guys. We need three or four guys getting, you know, 14, 15 points, like you just said, and – just keep attacking the boards and please clean up these turnovers because that seems to be a killer so far in the first half of the season. And then we got to figure out our size on the inside. Uh, you know, CJ Walker seems to be kind of our, our biggest, our best um, presence from a rebounding perspective. Again, Doombie is not getting any looks. Uh, Johnny Dawkins talked a little bit about, uh, about bowl today. Um, he doesn't look like he's any closer to getting on the court. Sounds like Dawkins says he's working his way back, but we still have no, you know, no thing definitive on him. And he's still a bit of a project. Um, you know, some of these teams, you know, obviously you know, height is, uh, is, is, and could be a concern down the stretch for UCF. As you saw what happened to us, uh, against the cows. Right. And now that I'm thinking about it. I don't even know if COVID could be a uh, possibility. Cause isn't there a rule that somebody's on COVID, the whole team has to shut down for a week or whatever it is. That, that would, I hear that early. In that the would be essentially what you would think would have to happen. Yeah. Um, Again, I don't know all the I don't know all the rules. I don't know, uh, you know, if somebody isn't, you know, wasn't with the team. Um, but you would think that there would be some level of expectation. But look, the reality is, I think, Mike, you know, we've heard rumors about football guys who had COVID and and it wasn't really announced anywhere. Nobody else kind of got, you know, got sat down. So it's it's hard to say uh, what all those rules look like. But uh, uh, I guess that's a possibility. All right. So let's see if we can. We get some more guys out there on the court and Johnny's got to start trusting, I guess, a couple more guys. And even if it's just to give our guys a break so we can, they can be fresher down the stretch. And we've seen the team get off to great starts, but kind of not finish as strong because of it. So maybe you got to make that adjustment now coming up. 
Yeah, well, you alluded to it earlier, so it's a 9 uh, p.m. tip time um, from Oof, from Edition uh, Financial Arena. Uh, it's on ESPNU, so you don't need to plug in any sort of fire sticks or go to any sort of devices to watch it. Uh, it will be an ESPNU game. So, uh, you know, we'll see what we got there. Again, Memphis has four guys averaging um, double figures, um, you know, so we'll see what uh, – We'll see what that looks like, Mike. But uh, let's take a quick pause here. Um, we'll do a little commercial situation, and uh, we'll transition from uh, from basketball into football. Not a lot going on, but there is a lot going on. We're all still confused. Don't go anywhere. We'll figure it all out right after this. All right, the football news, Mike. You know what it does? It never stops. What's that? There, it never stops. There, there, there's some news, although there isn't a lot of news. Uh, so a couple of things really off the top. I think a lot of folks are still kind of curious about the coaching um, stuff, uh, you know, replacement for Anthony Tucker. Any news on Randy Shannon with his contract um, essentially set to expire. And uh, as you and I are talking into this microphone on Monday, the fourth, still no update to that. In fairness to UCF, a lot of the uh, a lot of the folks were away during the holiday break. And so they're kind of back to traditional work weeks. And so some of those conversations probably hopefully are happening now. Um, you're starting to see the coaching carousel get ramped up a little bit uh, and uh, and some guys making moves. Tom Herman out, Steve Sarkeesian of Texas, uh, Doc Holliday from Marshall essentially left the program today, which is a bit of a head scratcher. So you'll, you'll start to see some more things kind of pop free. So uh, at this point in time, we don't really have a ton of new uh, information on, uh, on where we're with coaches. Uh, it sounds like a, in, in true hypo fashion, that stuff is being close to the vest, Mike. So we'll continue to keep you updated there. But on the other side of the coin, Mike, pretty much everybody's left UCF. Uh, and we had a slew of uh, announcements last week on guys who um, essentially will be entering the NFL draft. And I think the first thing I want to point out before we get to all these guys, and we'll get, we'll get your thoughts on these, Mike. So these are not guys who are leaving early. These are, these are guys who have graduated. Um, they fulfilled their, their years, their four or five years in the program. They have their degrees. Really what they're choosing to do is not exercise a free year that the NCAA um, granted them. So um, it's a bit different than a, uh, someone declaring for the draft a little bit early. Yes, these guys are all declaring that they're going to the draft, but in, in reality, um, they're, they've graduated, they've fulfilled their commitment, uh, and they're just electing not to take on an additional year, Mike. So it, it, to me, it is a bit of a distinction. They're, they're not leaving early. They're essentially leaving on time. They're just, they're turning down an opportunity um, to, to maybe stay for one more year. That makes a big difference when you're in the NFL, NFL teams consider age all the time. You always hear about running backs over the age of 30 and things like that. So you don't want to be a 27 year old guy leaving college unless you're Chris Winkie. You're not going to get too many opportunities. Uh, going into the NFL, the younger you are, the better. So these guys have all graduated. They've all been here for four years. Uh, some of them even five years, right? Yeah. Uh, or Yeah, Jacob Harrison has been here six, right? So it's time to go. When it's time to go, it's time to go. They're going to make that move. That's their dream. they got to go for it and go for it now. I know we're all selfish as fans. We'd love to see them back uh, and helping us win again next year, but that's what college is all about. Time to move on. The roster's turning over every few years, and we got to make the adjustment now ourselves. This is all Hypo's team now. That's it. All the Frost guys are gone. Uh, every tie to the 2017 team now is gone. So it's a new era, and I wish all these guys the best of luck. Hopefully they all get drafted. I don't know if that's going to happen. 
but you know we'll be rooting for him. Well, let's let's go through the list in, if, in case you haven't necessarily um, uh, you know heard these things here. So uh, in no particular order here, uh, Greg McRae, running back, has uh, elected to not return for his free year. Uh, McRae leaves UCF after rushing for over twenty six hundred yards, amassing thirty total touchdowns. Uh, his highlight year, Mike, was two thousand eighteen. Uh, where he was an 1,100-yard rusher. Uh, so Greg McRae uh, leaving the program. I can't say enough about Greg. He came to UCF as a walk-on. Uh, he spent a semester at Navy, uh, joined up in 17. I don't think he saw the field very much in 17. And uh, in 18, kind of came out of nowhere, right? We were all talking about Otis and AK, and and McRae you know, came really kind of out of nowhere. And we, we saw him first in that spring game in 18, and, uh, and, and we saw the talent he had. Um, but he leaves UCF pretty close to the to the top in terms of rushing yards. Um, and one of those kids, Mike, that he's, you know, you say this all the time. He's he's a tactician the way he sets up his blocks, the way that he uses his line. Um, you know, he's not he's not a you know a four two burner speed guy, but uh, he's a solid running back. I'm really curious to see if he gets a look at the next level. He could, is a guy that if he stayed another year could have broke all the records or at least come close to most of them. Uh, great guy to have on the team. Or um, and he, and he kind of got cut short because he had that year in 2019 where he missed a lot of games for injuries. Uh, he, and then having to split carries with a, a whole bunch of guys with Killens and Otis and Ventavious Thompson. I mean, imagine him in an O'Leary offense. He may have gotten a, a lot more carries. But uh, great, great kid, great player, very fun to watch him play. And, I mean, I wish him the best of luck going into the NFL, but even if not in the NFL, yeah, he can still get paid professionally. He may go be one of these Canada guys or uh, uh, he's going to have to have a big combine day, I think. Yeah. Cause I don't know if he's got the size right now that the NFL looks for. Next up, Otis Anderson. Uh, he leaves UCF with uh, over 2000 rushing yards, 17 rushing TDs, uh, over a thousand receiving yards uh, and a return TD as well. So 27 total touchdowns in his UCF career. Obviously, for us, he burst on the scene, Mike, in that 17 years true freshman season. Uh, people forget that year, Mike. You know, he wasn't, I don't even know that he was somebody who we were counting on early on, but Juwan Hamilton went down. Uh, we had AK, and uh, Otis came in late and just big time games. That that Cal game, he played really well. Uh, that Memphis game, he played really well. And then, you know, he made some big plays uh, against Auburn in the, in the Peach Bowl. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, we kind of moved him all over the field, and, and Hypo kind of used him as his utility guy, a Swiss Army guy. Uh, but you know he gave his heart and soul to to UCF. Uh, highlight making plays, you know his his ankle breaking run against FAU. I think is always something we'll remember uh, outside of that uh, that perfect screen pass that he caught against the cows. But uh, Greg uh, Greg obviously uh, the first guy of the backfield, and now Otis is the second one uh, to uh, to follow suit. Mike, huge plays, memorable plays out of Otis Anderson in big time games. You mentioned it, championship games, the cow game on. On the War on I four game, the the uh, the perfect play against the blitz, the screen pass. But how about the touchdown in the Memphis game where he where he threw up the the deuces? Mm-hmm. Yep. Or how about the touchdown in the Memphis game the year before in, in overtime? And then in, in the Peach Bowl touchdown, he scored big touchdowns and big moments. Even the game we lost, the game. The Pittsburgh game, when we made that comeback, he scored that touchdown on the punt return. I thought for sure we were going to win that game. Uh, just a big-time player, big moments out of him. Uh, another guy that uh, his size is the only thing that keeps him down because he's got all the ability. He's got the heart. And 
two guys leaving now. Those two guys uh, in the backfield kind of leaves us without that much experience back there now. But I, I can't fault these kids. They've been here and they got to do what they got to do. Yeah, Otis will be interesting because he he definitely has the skill set. You've seen the NFL, you know, go to smaller guys in the backfield. You've seen that happen before a time or two. Uh, And so, you know, Adrian Killens was obviously a guy, you know, Otis is a little bit bigger than him. But, uh, you know, AK didn't get off the practice squad for the Eagles um, except for one game. So we'll see if he has an opportunity to uh, uh, to to make a mark because he's certainly got a unique skill set. And and I think he uh, obviously could be a benefit to – to an NFL team. Um, so that's in the, in the backfield, Mike. Receiving core, we kind of already knew this one. Marlon Williams, uh, he already declared, um, but didn't want to mention him. He he leaves UCF with 157 receptions, 2,200 yards, 19 total TDs, uh, 10 of those in this past season. Uh, Marlon's certainly going to be a, a beast at the next level. Uh, one guy who we thought would have a really big year, but unfortunately injuries got a hold of him, is, uh, is Trey Nixon, Mike. Uh, he finishes his UCF career with 100 receptions, 1,600 yards, 13 TDs, seven of those TDs in the 2019 season. Uh, got injured in the opener against Georgia Tech, came back late in the year and played uh, a couple of games, but uh, I don't know that he was really fully 100%. Uh, and so uh, so Trey Nixon, one that folks thought maybe would, would take advantage of that year just to sort of get another full year of, uh, of film out there, uh, but uh, Trey Nixon elects to, uh, to take his opportunity in, at the next level in the NFL. Yeah, of all the guys that kind of, if anyone kind of surprised me, it was this one because I thought, Coming off this year where he really didn't play much, getting hurt in the opener, and he looked like he was primed for a big year, man. I mentioned before, he looked like he came back this year a little more bulked up, and to have that injury in the very first week and then not come back until the last couple games of the season, I thought maybe he would be the one guy to take advantage of that extra year, come back next year, have a big season, and then go from there. But, I mean, he's another guy that's been here now for a while. He came in in 2018, his first season transferring over, and had a big game right away. His very first game against UConn, a couple touchdowns, and is always that deep threat that we've needed. Dylan Gabriel loves just throwing bombs to him deep, a speedster. He's somebody that's got some skills, man, and I'd love to see him get his shot. And selfishly, I would have loved to see him come back another year, but good luck to him too. Well, he's not the other, uh, the only receiver. So Marlon and Trey declared, and then uh, later on that same day, Jacob Harris uh, also declared uh, – 49 receptions in his UCF career, uh, nine total TDs, eight here in 2020. Obviously, uh, Harris is a, a behemoth of a human being, Mike. Tall, uh, long, uh, fast, lanky. Um, obviously, hands have, have really been probably the only thing that has held him back. Um, again, maybe a bit of a surprise, but he's also been a guy that um, I think he got a medical red shirt one year. I think he transferred to UCF. So I think it's his sixth or seventh year actually um, in the collegiate program. So you can kind of see from that standpoint why he might say, hey, it's, it's time to kind of move on and, and go to the real world. But uh, Jacob Harris also uh, elects to uh, to head to the NFL draft. That's a guy you've had a lot of fun with. I kind of <laughs> jumped in sometimes. And it's just frustrating sometimes seeing him because he's got so many – he's got the skill set. He's got the measurables. He's fast. Uh, we've heard guys on the team tell us he's the fastest guy on the team, which a lot of people had a hard time believing. He's got the size. He's going to be one of these guys. I think he may make the NFL, man. And if he has a big combine day, that's what these guys go by. If he can just prove to be a little more consistent with his hands, he may be one of these guys like a Matt Prater that goes on to the NFL and has this career where we were all saying, well, he wasn't that great at UCF, but now look at him. And 
I hope he does. I hope for him he does. He actually might be the most intriguing prospect in this list, right? Because he's got all the size. He's got the measurables. Um, you know, he, he may be a, a guy that a, a team grabs and stashes on the practice squad and, you know, works with him for a year and, and, and kind of figures out what they have with him. But, you know, he may be the one that naturally look at all the statistics and you say, okay, well, he's, you know, he's got the, you know, the lowest numbers on the list, quote unquote, but uh, he may really be the guy who has the, you know, the most interesting upside. So we'll see how that sort of uh, translate to, to the NFL. Um, he didn't put out one of those fancy announcement graphics, but um, it's all but said and done that Richie Grant also has decided to not take his final year. Uh, he leaves UCF with 189 tackles, uh, 10 INTs, uh, five forced fumbles, and uh, he had eight in that 20, I'm sorry, six in that 2018 season. So Richie Grant, Mike, looks like he's moving on as well. Yeah, we all saw this one coming. Uh, one of the guys that was going to go to the Senior Bowl, I think we all knew, the writing was on the wall early in the year that this was going to be his last year. He was not going to come back. Great career out of him. Another guy with some big-time moments. Everybody remembers that Warren I-4 game against the Cows on that Black Friday. He's the guy that stripped Wilcox that caused the fumble to end that game because who knows if the Cows could have come back. That game could still be going on the way it was going that <laughs> night. Uh, but you know, I kind of give him credit for not putting out one of those statements. I texted you yeah. <laughs> that one. It seemed like we were getting barraged by all these statements, and I, I guess it's, I, I know why the kids do it. They do it when they come out of high school to, to tell you where they're going to school. So now they're doing it and telling you they're leaving. Everybody does it. They write this long soliloquy of you know five paragraphs telling you that they're not coming back. So I kind of respect Richard Grant for not coming, not writing one of those things and just saying I'm out of here. Thank you. Well, same thing I think is, is true of Aaron Robinson. Again, we haven't seen any of those statements from Robinson, but it seems uh, all signs are pointing in that direction for A-Rob as well. Uh, I don't know if you know this, Mike, but he actually started at Alabama. Um, he had uh, 73 tackles on the year or on his career, uh, one INT, one touchdown. It was that Stanford, uh, at Stanford game that uh, he played really well when uh, Mike, he's, he's a guy who was all over the field, kind of a really hybrid linebacker, nickelback role in this Randy Shannon-style defense. Uh, but again, nothing official, but it, it's pretty – I think it's pretty, pretty interesting and pretty comfortable to say that uh, A. Rob will be going to the uh, to the draft. See, we talk about it all the time when guys transfer and they do make it to the NFL and they they mention the second school, but him being the first school, Alabama. You think if he got on there, they would say, "Well, he was recruited by Nick Saban. He was an Alabama guy," and nobody would mention UCF. Probably. I mean, I think he would probably say UCF. <laughs> He'll probably pull up the high school thing, right, and 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 say neither. Um, yeah, well, he's interesting. I think Richie Grant has probably the highest draft grade of all the the draft uh, services that have uh, looked at these guys yet. And again, some of these things haven't been updated since some of these guys announced. But I think Richie Grant has the highest potential grade of anybody. Um, you know, I think Robinson's one of those kids that's probably on that fringe. Um, we'll see what his pro day stuff looks like. But uh, um, yeah, who, who knows what he'll say. But here, so that's that's the who's leaving, who's who's staying. News. Here's what we know about who's staying, Mike. We know Jake Hescock is electing to come back. He's already made that announcement. Um, Noah Hancock. Um, he announced he's returning to UCF. Shane Burnham um, stated in one of his press availabilities that he, he expects Kalia Davis to return. Uh, so a lot sounds like Kalia Davis will be back as well. Some guys we don't know officially kind of where they are yet, really, Mike. And and some of these guys really weren't. Uh, we're not a ton of guys that were out there um, playing a bunch, but really one name is interesting is we haven't heard anything about Brandon Moore. Uh, so Brandon Moore technically, you know, is a senior. Um, 
Uh, obviously, he did not play all of last year. I think he's obviously still rehabbing um, and, and getting stronger in the knee. Uh, so interesting to see maybe if we get updates or news on, on what Brandon Moore's next steps are. If he wants to uh, come back to UCF, does he want to transfer? Is he going to stay? Um, or is he going to go to the portal? So we'll see. Um, we'll see what happens with that. But uh, um, that's at least the, the latest uh, player news update, Mike. Uh, out of all those guys, um, who uh, who do you give? I guess if you could give out one, like, I'm going to miss this guy the most award. Uh, who's uh, from this list? Who, who's that guy for you? <laughs> you make me pick one of these guys. Um, who I'm going to miss the most or who the team's going to miss the most next no, you. year? Who, who you're going to miss the most? Me? Uh, I'll go Greg McCray. I, like, I always like the way McCray played. Uh, I like the way he played from the very first time in that spring game and then that 2018 season. He looked like he was going to be a special one, and he was. And I just like the way he carried himself on the sidelines and the way he – he just always seemed to be having fun every time he played. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, the second most uh, um, ingrained Marlon Williams fan out there. So obviously, Marlon was a guy just the way he plays, his toughness, uh, you know, his physicality out there. He had obviously had a big year. Um, so I'll go Marlon. But you said it earlier. This is this is kind of it, right? This is the sort of the last of the um, the 2017 team. Uh, class, if you will, that that's that's kind of leaving. It's kind of the, the last of that era, um, and it's kind of interesting, Mike. You know, because you know, obviously, you and I are getting older, um, and you know, with with more and more years that go by, like you, you kind of get accustomed to these kids, and you you know, it's almost like, oh my god, I can't believe they're all leaving right now. Um, it, it almost makes you makes it feel surreal because they were such a big part of, of UCF, and yeah, you know, it's an era at this point that you know, I don't know how you top what what these kids did in that seventeen eighteen run, even you know, even 19. Um, but it's kind of bittersweet seeing, seeing them all leave. Um, and, and obviously to your point, it's the right thing to do. And we, 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 by the way, we knew this day was going to come because that's what, that's what guys do when they go to college and they stop going to college. But it just seems like when you think about what's going on with McKenzie and then all these guys really, it kind of gets a tear in your eye that, you know, that, that magical time, uh, really has, uh, come to an end. <laughs> it's over, man. The McKenzie Milton era is over, and all the guys that we won with in in that magical season, 2017, they're all gone now. So, I mean, it happens. It happened with the 2013 team. Remember, after we won the Fiesta Bowl, a lot of those guys came back in 14. All the receivers were back, and we had a pretty good team. Bortles had left, and Storm Johnson had left, but most of the team was back. And then a couple of years later, they were all gone, and we went winless. <laughs> and then reloaded and we reloaded with this group and now they're all out of here and hopefully we put together another nice class and another group that can bring us back to the promised land next year or the year after sometime soon and then we'll be waxing poetic about those guys and missing them when they leave yeah we'll have to get used to some new names right there'll, there'll be some new names that are filling some of these you know some of these holes and this is this is now officially the the Josh Heupel team. I mean, this, these are these are Heupel guys. These are, you know, these are guys that he's been recruiting um, since he arrived at UCF, and uh, and so it's a uh, the transition is official, Mike. And uh, it it kind of came quickly, and and all of a sudden you kind of snap back and you realize kind of where we are. But uh, um, the the Heupel era has fully begun, and uh, you know it, we'll we'll see where you know to your point where the next gro- crop, where the next Greg McRae is in that list, where the next Trey Nixon is, where the next Otis Anderson is on on these guys and and we'll get to know those names too but uh certainly 
certainly wish all those guys well as they uh, as they embark on their next uh, the next endeavor. But uh, coming up next, why don't we're going to embark on a new endeavor? Surprise! It might be a game. Stick around. Mike and Adam, sons of UCF, that'll move those chains. That's good enough for another UCF first down. All right, if you uh, if you follow the show, you know every week I come up with a silly little game. Which, if you really follow the show, you recognize is actually the same game with a with a new name every single time. Uh, this week's Mike, uh, you have no idea what this is. This is completely Mike gets zero information on these games most of the time, and I just spring them on him as we hit record. So this game is called "Are You More Worried About?" All right, so I'm gonna give you two things, Mike, and you tell me which of these two things you're more worried about. So I'm, I'm playing to your negative side here today. So. Let's uh let's start with basketball. We were we were just uh uh kind of waxing about that earlier in the in the show here. So Mike, what are you more worried about? UCF's ability to score or UCF's ability to rebound? I'm gonna say score right now because we've shown that we can rebound when we put our minds to it. That Houston game, and Houston's a very good team rebounding the basketball, and we out rebounded them. Yeah, we lost the advantage to the cows this week, but uh, we didn't get completely out rebounded. I mean, they got a couple more than us, um, but scoring was was the issue. And we talked about it earlier in the show. We have four guys that have proven they can score, but can we do it consistently at the same time? Can we have more than two guys do it a night? That's the part that's worrying me right now. We only scored sixty one this past week against the Cows. We only scored fifty four against Houston after that Florida State game where we were in the eighties. We've kind of come back down now in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I, I debated this one. I think scoring is the right answer um, because, yeah, obviously, you know that's how you win the game by putting points on the board. And if we, you know, if we're going to struggle week over week to try to to find guys to put the ball in the hole, um, you know, that's that's a challenge. Anybody can rebound. Rebounding is also sometimes a schematic thing. It's about you know Dawkins putting guys in the right position and, and guys just getting in position. It's not always necessarily a height thing. It also could be a hustle thing, um, but shooting and scoring—I mean, that's you know—you have to have a little bit of skill for that. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with you, Mike. I think scoring is where I'm more worried right now. Trust me, I don't want to give up 21 se- uh, second chance points again. But I think if we can score, then maybe those 21 points don't really matter after all. Well, if we score the ball, we don't actually even have to rebound it. Right? There are no rebounds when you make the basket. Well, hopefully they they miss. Um, all right, let's stay on basketball for a second. <laughs> Uh, who's shooting uh, are you more worried about, C.J. Walker or Darius Perry? <laughs> oh, man. Well, I, I talk about how Walker seems like a little out of control, but he kind of recognizes it during the game. So he's not going to put up 20 shots, whereas Perry, <laughs> I think he's putting up his yes. shots whether they're going in or not. So when he's making them and he's having a good night, it's not a bad thing. But – when he's not, he can go John Starks on you and go 0 for 12. And so I guess I, I have to go with Perry. Well played, my friend. You you picked up on the trick on this one. You would think that the easy answer would be Walker because he isn't scoring as much. But the answer actually might be Perry. Uh, and it's more about taking good shots, not just who's a better shooter. Um, and hopefully we'll at some point get Walker in positions to take the shots he's comfortable with. But, uh, you know, uh, Perry obviously could also shoot us out of games, particularly if we're not getting any offense or starting to force shots. Uh, so I do believe uh, you are two for two so far. I think Perry is the right answer on that one. 
well, right. well played. Are you trying to stump me on these? Or I'm not. Are, I'm just trying to, you know. Correct answers. I mean, they're, they're, they're right and wrong just answers? correct in the ones that I would have picked. Um, all right, so let's go. Let's go to football for a second, Mike. Um, we just went over the list of folks who are leaving the program who will no longer be with UCF and have uh, moved forward. So, which position group are you more worried about, Mike? Running back or receiver? Ooh, receiver. Because uh, running back, we 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 know well, we kind of know what we have with Bentavious Thompson, right? We've seen some good flashes out of him. We saw a little flash out of Johnny Richardson, and I I really love Johnny Richardson coming in. I, I, the high school tape, I don't really watch a lot of those high school uh, highlight tapes, but I did watch his, and I was very impressed by him. And I saw a little bit earlier in this season. I like Richardson. Uh, we got another kid coming in this year. I, I believe his name is Williams. Yep. Who's supposed to be a bigger back. So I, I kind of like that, and I like the. I think Hypo's system is set up really for the running backs too. So I, I think we can always find a way to have success on the ground. The receivers, we just lost some big time receivers: Marlon Williams, Trey Nixon, Jacob Harris. That's three big targets, and now we're left without a lot of experience. Yeah, we have Jalen Robinson, and yes, we have um, Amari Johnson and Stretch Cradle and O'Keefe, but. Uh, not a lot, a lot of, uh, what do we have? We have O'Keefe had the one big play against Memphis, right? Yep. And he had, he had a big game. Yeah, well, he, but... ca- he caught a two yard pass and took it 91 yards. So he, in theory, <laughs> um, not that that's easy to do, by the way, I can't do it, but he didn't necessarily, you know, break along with, he, he had a, a long touch on another game that I'm forgetting off the top of my head um, as well. But yes, O'Keefe's probably got the most PT outside of Robinson on that list. Yeah. I think the Houston game, I think remember he's from Houston. I think it, Another game, he had a big game, but um, yeah, I'm a little worried about the receivers because who knows what we're gonna get. Were there rumors about Cradle not coming back, or was he experimenting? And who knows what's going on with the transfer portal? I, I thought we were looking into some other receivers, and I don't think we signed anybody yet. And we were trying to get some guys signed in for this January class, and it hasn't happened. So, out of the two, I'd say receiver has me a little more worried. I think you're three for three on this one, Mike. I, I agree. I think the receiving uh, core is certainly uh, a bit challenging. On the running back room, don't forget, we also have um, R.J. Harvey who came in from Virginia. We have Damaris Good. Um, and so, if, you know, to your point, we, we have, I think, a stable of guys in the running back position. But re- receivers, you you know, you saw outside of Marlin, um, you know, we, we struggle um, with, with the receiving core, you know, making, you know, catches over the middle, making catches in general. Um, you saw the BYU game without without Marlon. Um, you know, we had a couple of balls off guys' hands. Um, and so, yeah, the transfer portal may be our friend. We There was Andrew Parchment. He looks like he's going to go to FSU. He's a Kansas transfer. Um, some guy's first name I can't pronounce, but his last name is Brown. He's from Georgia Tech. I think he he, uh, uh, he decided to go to uh, South Carolina. I think there's three receivers from Arizona. Um, one of them has uh, Florida ties. I actually went to Cardinal Gibbons. Um, he, you know, he's out there in the portal. Um, an Oklahoma uh, kid, last name of Rambo, just declared today. Um, does Hypo, you know, pull his Oklahoma roots? Does Alan Robinson pull, you know, pull some connections there? Uh, so it sounds like if you're reading the tea leaves, all of the uh, all of the transfer portal talk is uh, slanted receiver wise, which probably leads you to think that that's a place where Hypo realizes he needs a little bit of extra help, uh, which is probably the spot. He needs a little bit of extra help. Also, don't forget Jared Baker, Mike. He was a he was a pretty high profile kid. Uh, knee injury um, didn't play a ton. Uh, you know, he's he was a pretty special player as well. So we'll see if maybe he gets on the field. But I think receiver is probably the right answer on this one too. 
Kavan Amada is another name we've been hearing now for a couple of years. Yep. I haven't really seen anything out of him yet. All right, so we just discovered that uh, running back and receiver, we're going to have to do some reloading. Uh, we saw the defense, Mike, this year, and we had to reload a few different times for a few different reasons. So are you more worried about our offense next year or our defense? <laughs> it's got to be the defense still. Uh, the offense still, with all everybody that leaves, it, and we're still putting up points, right? In the hypo system – that's proven that it could put up points, whether you want to say it's against weak teams and not. I, I don't know. I guess, I guess there is some validity to that. But the defense has a lot to prove overall. I mean, we <laughs> the last time we saw the defense, BYU was running wide open on every single play. And it was ugly before that. With the Cal game and the crack started showing. Once all those guys got kicked off the team, the defense had a couple pretty decent games against Houston. And I forget who the other one was, but then after that, uh, they kind of got exploited a little bit. So I'm not comfortable with any parts of the defense. I mean, what's the strongest part of our defense? Is it the defensive line? Is it the secondary? Is it the linebackers? Uh, I don't even, I couldn't tell you. Uh, I, <laughs> I guess maybe going into next year, the defensive line, if you say Kalia Davis is back, and hopefully now Trayvon Morris Brash breaks out and Scar now comes into his own, maybe those guys can, can really develop. But uh, I don't have much confidence in defense at all. You're on fire. I, I think defense is right. I think you're right. The D-line is probably the area that at least we have the, the most experience yet. Cam Good to that list. Uh, you know, I think I said Hancock's coming back. You, you put, they'll throw him in the mix. Um, you know, we saw a couple of the young guys also get some run um, this past season. So, you know, maybe those guys help Keenan Hester, Dallas Corbett. Um, the secondary, yeah, everyone's like, hey, you know what? Our secondary is young, but, you know, yeah, they they had a chance to play. I mean, we also did not play very well um, against uh, against BYU. So, yeah, uh, while we got a lot of run, uh, do we still have the talent that we need back there? There's a lot of people to replace. Uh, Derek Gain has played really well, I think, down the stretch. But uh, you know, cornerback wise, we get Devontae Dawson back. He opted out. Um, you know, Thornton Hodges. Are they gonna you know continue the, their ascent? Um, so I think you're right. I think the defense, the linebackers, I mean, we, we've got Joyce, who's an incoming freshman, um, who's supposed to be pretty talented. We didn't see a lot of Quade Mosier. Uh, obviously, we saw uh, – I think we're excited about Bethune. Uh, Gilliard was, was hurt a bunch last year. So the defense still has a lot of question marks, not to mention of, of which who will be coordinating it. So uh, I think that's uh, that's that certainly sounds to me like, like the right answer is the defense. Yeah, that's the other big thing you just hit on. Who is the defensive coordinator? Uh, I guess it's not Will Muschamp because <laughs> you sent me a picture earlier today. <laughs> Will Muschamp was our defensive coordinator. That, right. Yeah, some some guy on Twitter made a uh, a little graphic and tagged a bunch of people, and it just didn't have any context. And uh, you know, like like you had said right away, like is anyone else reporting this? Because if it's not coming from you know the guys that we know, the Brandon Helwigs, the Brian Murphys, those kept guys, then uh, that probably gives us our answer. But uh, still, no word on. Uh, if we have any change at all in the D coordinator position, but I feel like it's not actually Will Muschamp. No, I don't think so. All right, coming up after this uh, this segment, we're going to talk to uh, Louis Pardillo. He's a UCF alum and uh, somebody who's got a new creative business in the name, image, likeness space, Mike. So we learned all about that. So here's my question for you. Are you more worried about name, image, and likeness stuff, or are you more worried about open transfers, so the ability to just transfer uh, freely without any penalty. What are you more worried about? Uh, you know, I'm going to go with the unknown, the name, age, and likeness stuff. 
uh, I don't know what these college kids are going to be doing. I mean, some of them uh, have a, a good career ahead of them, but some of them may just be in it for trying to make some money now. And maybe they get too big in their own heads and put start putting themselves before the team. That has me a little concerned. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with making money from themselves because it's better than the school making money off them and they're not able to. I understand the whole process, but I can see how it can get in the way of, of the team sometimes. Whereas the transfer portal, I think we benefit from it just as much as we get hurt from it sometimes. I know the big one obviously was McKenzie this year, but we've picked up some big-time players in the transfer portal, and I think coming back to Florida is helpful because you see a lot of guys that sign with teams like Nebraska these other out-of-state schools, and they wind up wanting to come back to Florida, and we're a good landing spot for them. So um, I'm going to go with the unknown. The the name, image, and likeness thing kind of has me a little concerned until I get to figure it out, I guess. Until I see it in action for a couple years, maybe I'll get used to it. I think that's the right answer too, but I'm I'm not sure the so the open transfer thing where essentially as you get a chance to just you know uh, I think it's only a one time deal by the way if they have the NCAA's rule correct these days but basically you get a one time free freebie if you will um, and, and to your point yeah we have certainly benefited from the transfer portal um, and from the ability to t- take in transfers but we haven't yet experienced it the other way around. And I'm what I just don't know about is how we would feel if tomorrow you know Dylan Gabriel was like oh by the way I'm going to USC. You know what I mean? Would we think, oh, that's the worst rule ever. We hate it. Like, what are we doing with this stupid transfer thing? Um, so I that's why I hold out a little bit is because we've we've been the beneficiary, but it could easily come back to hurt us one day, right, where, uh, you know, you see this from time to time. I think I just saw this today, Mike. The Appalachian State quarterback is going to a Louisville. I don't know what the situation is. I'm not sure what year he was. But will, you know, will that start to become a thing? You know, Casey kind of sort of did the same thing, right? Went from a quote-unquote group of five school to a power five school. So I, I think you're right because you don't know anything about the, the NIL stuff yet. But that, that one-time transfer thing, I think until it bites us, then uh, I think that's where, you know, that's where things get uh, could get interesting. Well, I don't like the transfer thing. I don't like that you can just pick up and leave after you committed to school for four years. But at the same time, Coaches, they leave all the time, no matter what. It doesn't matter if they have a contract with the school or whatever. They can just pick up and go whenever they want. So it's only fair that the players should be able to do it too. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, it is what it is, man. College sports is a lot different than it was when we were in college, and it's going to keep getting different as time goes on. Um, is it becoming more like the pros? Once that happens, is it, are they going to lose fans because of it? I don't know. I think some of us are just so hooked into UCF and – whatever school you went to that they can make any rule and we'd still watch it right we'd still be hooked on them yeah you're probably right but it just it's uh yeah and we'll see what what comes out of the nil stuff we'll see how um you know how how big a deal this turns out to be you know i think you know obviously i don't want to ruin everything that that lewis says to us but there are probably going to be some players who can you know get solid deals and good deals um and there'll probably be some other guys who are you know, doing $25 autograph sessions, right? Like it, it, uh, it'll be interesting to see how that, how that all shakes out. Um, all right, we got time for one more. Who are you more worried about leaving UCF? Josh Heupel or Johnny Dawkins? Oh, <laughs> uh, you guys, you mean who I think might actually leave or who were you more worried about? If want. you heard this guy was, well, you're worried that this guy could leave us. You're more worried that Heupel would leave us. You're more worried 
You'd be more worried if Dawkins left us. Yeah, I'd be more worried if Dawkins left us. Uh, I, I like what Don, Johnny's building over here. Uh, I think this is a place where he can leave his mark now and be here for a long time. He's been successful in big-time programs like Stanford before. Uh, remember, what is the stat now? We've won, what, eight games against top 25 teams, and five of them are under Dawkins in this last couple of years now. Uh, I like where he's doing with the program. I, I like the stability that he's brought to the program and got us that first tournament win. And yeah, I think we can become that basketball school that we all want to see. So I, I like Johnny. The, the hypo, I mean, am I scared he's going to leave? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I think it would, it's one of those things where you miss him when he's gone, I guess. Because if he leaves and it's who takes over after him, then that's the unknown. We can get, we can get better than him. We, it could, but it could actually, it could get a lot worse too. So, uh, I, I'll, I'll stick with Johnny. I, I think you may be right here as well. And that's like kind of the way I, I phrased the question is if tomorrow I send you a text message and said, Hey, did you hear the news that blank coach just is, is leaving? You know, would you be more concerned if I told you that, that, uh, Hypo picked up and left or that Dawkins picked up and left. And I think you hit the nail on the head. I think, I think from a football standpoint, while we certainly could get a lot, you know, could be a lot worse. I think UCF would be an attractive football job where we could probably get, you know, a couple of interesting candidates to consider coming to UCF and continuing to build what we have here. Johnny's just starting to really, I think, take basketball to it, to the level of where it should be at UCF. And you wonder if he leaves, you know, you know, what, what is our, you know, what is our identity at that point? Um, you know, what would, who else could we get to come in here and, and, and be coach? Um, and yeah, I just feel like, you know, we probably would be able to hold our own and do something with the football program where the basketball program, you know, is just on that upward trend and you'd hate to see kind of Dawkins leaving, um, and take that away a little bit. Um, so I'll, I'll go Dawkins. I think you might be right on that one too. All right. So this game, I, had zero prior knowledge to coming in. And it's a game that it's kind of like a, a negative perspective. Yeah. perspective. What are you most worried about? Yeah. You know me, I'm a pretty positive person. I was positive even when we were done 21 up with BYU. <laughs> um, I, I answered all questions the way you expected, or does that mean I, I'm negative? Does that mean I'm bad? I wasn't prepared for that question. Um, no, I think you looked at the questions and you objectively figured out which of these things are bigger concerns, right? And uh, and so I, I think that means you are uh, uh, you're a positive person, but you're a, a wise person to know uh, what's really, really important. Also, you, you mentioned you were a positive person about the BYU game. I think you spelled drunk wrong on that one, but uh, we'll talk about all that later. So coming up next, though, uh, we're going to bring in uh, uh, a guy who's doing something unique in, uh, in, in the new uh, NIL space, and he'll educate us all on what that all means and what that is. Uh, and he's a UCF alum as well. So stick around. Uh, Sons of UCF, we're coming right back after this. The Suns have a new interview. Listen up. All right, a different kind of conversation for everybody tonight. Um, if you've been following college sports, if you uh, kind of keep your ear to the ground, one of the uh, one of the things that's changing, particularly in the state of Florida, coming up here in the next calendar year, is the name, image, and likeness rule. And uh, it's a really confusing thing, but the short version of it essentially is that players uh, may now be able to profit off of their own 
name, image, and likeness, which obviously could have a ton of ramifications. And so it's a really confusing topic. Mike and I have touched on it a few different times throughout the throughout the year. And every time we talk about it, we recognize one thing. We have no idea what the heck it means. Well, we uh, we reached out. We found uh, we found a good company that's uh, just kind of getting off the ground, started by a couple of UCF alums. And we're happy to uh, to have one of those gentlemen on the phone was here this evening to talk a little bit more about what the heck NLI and NIL and all that other stuff means. And then give us some insight on his uh, his new company. His name is Louis Pardillo. He's a UCF alum, and he's the founder of Dreamfield.co. That's where you can find more information on their website. And uh, and the company is called Dreamfield. And uh, Louis is with us tonight on the show. Louis, first off, thanks for taking some time and hopefully explaining to us something that um, is confusing to a lot of people. <laughs> hey, I'm happy to be here. Thanks, Adam. Uh, thank you, Mike. Uh, you know, hopefully, I could uh, shed some light on the topic. Well, I'll start off with the easiest and the hardest question, um, name, image, and likeness. Uh, what's, uh, what's the background with that? What does all that mean? And uh, uh, talk to us a little bit about what it's going to mean specifically for the state of Florida coming up in 2021. Yeah, no, absolutely. So name, image, and likeness, uh, you're going to often hear it referred to as NIL. Uh, it, it's sort of the buzzword or the term right now for new legislation that's currently moving through different state legislatures. Um, you mentioned Florida. Uh, Florida right now is one of six uh, states that have passed some version of the NIL uh, law. Uh, but you know, it's not just at the state level; it's also at the federal level. There is um, currently two bills at the Senate uh, chamber: uh, one by uh, one of our senators, Marco Rubio; another by Cory Booker of New Jersey, uh, as well as. Um, at least one bill at the House level, uh, the U.S. House. And so, you know, there's different uh, levels of government that are are really looking at ways to change the way uh, our college athlete structure. Uh, and, and really what that's done is put pressure on the athletic associations. So uh, the NAIA, um, as well as the NCAA, have been uh, looking at different... Um, you know, bylaws uh, to make changes just because of the pressure that they're getting from the different state and federal government agencies. And so for Florida, this goes into effect essentially um, in 2021. No. So the upcoming essentially sports calendar year, this, this new um, legislation is essentially active. Yeah. So um, while Florida wasn't the first state to pass um, the law, it, it actually, the honor goes to California and then Colorado second, um, both those states don't activate the NIL law until 2023. Um, why they waited that that long, I'm not sure. Uh, Florida stepped up, and uh, I got to give major kudos to uh, Chip Lamarca, who's a uh, a state uh, representative down in Broward County, who was leading the way and got the bill um, signed by Governor DeSantis. Um, what they did was signed the bill in June of 2020 with basically a 13-month window to implement it. And uh, it, it shows how serious Florida is about um, about the NIL and, and really supporting collegiate athletes. Now, of course, with that short period of time comes a lot of, uh, a lot of issues, uh, which right now the Board of Governors are sort of figuring out from a compliance and regulation standpoint, which, of course, Adds, adds a little bit of, uh, uh, you know, confusion 
at the platform level and for the athletes themselves. So that's something that uh, we're sorting out on our end as well as I'm sure other players in the space as well. Who came up with the idea for Dreamfield, the company that you guys started and what exactly is it that you guys are going to be doing? Yeah. So um, my partner, Andrew, who is a uh, fellow UCF grad, uh, gave me a call in March of last year and uh, basically asked me if I was following what was going on with California. And at that time, uh, Florida hadn't passed uh, the bill yet. And so I had heard a little bit, but didn't know too much of what was going on. Um, and uh, we just started researching and we saw an opportunity to really just dive in and help college athletes out. And so uh, back in March, you know, we had just basically a general idea of, you know, the, the industry and, and what we could do to participate in it. And um, after months and months of uh, discussion, we really realized that there was a great opportunity to participate, create a platform so that we could connect college athletes with businesses, organizations, and individuals themselves uh, in a way of uh, allowing booking opportunities to, to occur. And so one thing I do want to make sure that I'm clear on is that we are not participating in any way as an agency. Uh, we don't look to represent uh, athletes or even support um, businesses, you know, as, as far as uh, advocating on their behalf. We're merely a two-way marketplace that connects uh, consumers with the college athletes for opportunities. So you're basically like a dating site between agents, <laughs> between the athlete and individuals and just kind of pair them up and, and let them find each other kind of thing? In a way, uh, that, that's a good way of uh, putting it. Um, I, another, um, I, I guess, way to look at it is very similar to um, Airbnb, where, you know, in, in that case, you have people who own homes and people looking to rent homes. We're really just matching um, consumers up with, with uh, athletes and, uh, you know, for opportunities. And of course we do more than just match up. What we're, what we're really looking and what we're really driving to do is create a safe and compliant way for athletes to monetize their brand. So, um, you know, we're, you know, we're strictly looking at how we could protect the athlete with the way the law is structured in Florida. And of course in the state of Florida, uh, even if the NCAA were to pass a bylaw, the state supersedes whatever that bylaw may be. Um, so in regards to the institutions here, we know pretty pretty well what the standards are going to be, what can be done, what can't be done. Uh, it gets really complicated when you start going state by state. Uh, be a great example, in Michigan, they just passed uh, their version of the NIL law, and they have a, um, I guess, language in there that any activity done by an athlete has to be booked seven days out, uh, which is really interesting. Um, so, so basically, you know, for us to participate in Michigan, we want to make sure that um, our app or our desktop version um, makes sure that the athlete doesn't get in trouble by booking something three days out. So there's a lot of nuances that go on uh, state by state. So hopefully that'll be figured out at the federal level for everyone's sake. Do you think it gives a state like a Florida, a, a state like Florida, a kind of a, um, I don't know, like an upper hand, if you will, on, on young college athletes who are thinking about, Hey, where do I want to go to school? And, 
you know, obviously, you know, the first year may be a little bit different while folks learn some stuff out, right? But do you think it gives Florida kind of an upper hand and the schools in Florida an upper hand as, as kitchen baking decisions? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. From a recruiting standpoint alone, uh, it gives Florida institutions a, a unique opportunity to uh, recruit with the understanding that players participating in sports in those schools can have an advantage over players in other states. So um, I would imagine at the SEC level, uh, the Florida Gators are going to have a unique advantage over recruiting Georgia, over recruiting Alabama, um, just purely based on the fact that these athletes can actually generate income. Um, And really what that's done is it's opened Pandora's box where the NCAA wasn't even entertaining uh, the NIL but once Florida passed the law with a, you know, a, a timeline of 2021, which the recruiting cycle has already started, uh, it's really forced their hand to, to pass some sort of law uh, just, just from an unfair recruiting advantage. So if I were UCF, if I were Miami, I, I would really try to capitalize as much as possible uh, before it becomes federal and, and you know, not an advantage. Have you guys thought about partnering with the schools directly and having them funnel the athletes directly to you guys that, or you're just focusing on um, going directly to the athlete? So it's a great question. And the way the law in Florida was written is that the, the institutions themselves have to not be involved in any way uh, with, with student athletes as far as their decision-making. So we're, while there could be some sort of informal partnership, and you're starting to see that out uh, right now with with certain um, players in the space uh, from from an education standpoint, uh, really the, the institutions can't make decisions on behalf of the student athletes on on how they monetize their money outside of a few uh, unique rules, um, like for example, sports wagering or prohibited substances. Um, athletes uh, athletes can't endorse uh, like gambling for example um, but outside of a few unique rules uh, really the institutions cannot be involved in any way what's, but what uh, what oversight must I have so from a compliance perspective do universities have any role or any hand in ensuring that you know the athletes are doing the right thing taking the right endorsements taking the right uh, you know the, the right meetings or whatnot is there any sort of compliance um, that's required from the university uh, there is basically the the way the law is written in Florida. And of course, it's going to change state by state, like I mentioned before. But in the state of Florida, the athletes have to um, provide contracts um, or commitments to the university compliance office. Um, right now, it's an unspecified time from everything I've read. But in speaking to one of our advisors that, that's really helping to guide us, uh, that should be shored up pretty soon um, as far as the timetable. Uh, one unique advantage of, of Dreamfield is that any athlete that, that books an appearance uh, through our site, uh, we're looking to provide uh, directly the, uh, the, the compliance office uh, the, those contracts on behalf of the players just to ensure that um, you know, the player is within compliance and not violating any sort of rule. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're doing our best uh, to really help the student athlete out um, with, uh, you know, with this NIL process because there will be slip ups. It is a new thing. And so if we could 
if we could help the athlete avoid any sort of issues, whether it be from a tax perspective or whether it be from a compliance, uh, that's what we want to do. Well, let's talk a little bit about it. So NIL, obviously name, image, likeness. If I, if I put this really simplistically, it means that a, an athlete can sort of profit off of their own their name, image, or likeness, meaning uh, obviously there are a lot of different umbrellas that I can go through. I think as, as people thought about this rule, right, there was always that concern that you'd have the local car dealership, you know, agreeing to, you know, a $25,000 contract for the five, you know, star blue chip quarterback to come to the school and yada, yada, yada. yada. That feels like it's probably on the on the very extreme side of things. Based on the research you've done, where are the avenues or what are the businesses or what are the different um, variations where you think the athletes have the most ability to actually profit off of their name, image, and likeness? Yeah, I mean, there, there's there's going to be a plethora of options, uh, whether it be content. Uh, one story that, that really is the backbone of why we're doing what we're doing, and you know, UCF fans should be very familiar, is the Donald Delahaye uh, story from a few years back where he created a YouTube channel and wasn't able to monetize um, his his NIL, um, which he ended up choosing uh, to go the route of, of leaving uh, the university. And, and you know what? It, it actually ended up being a really good decision. I, I believe he has 3, 3.2 million YouTube followers now. Uh, so he's doing really well for himself, and, and, and I'm, I'm really happy for him. But, you know, whether it be uh, – you know, uh, getting advertising money uh, from from a YouTube type channel, uh, whether it be working with Dreamfield uh, as far as live event bookings, whether it be going on Cameo and, and doing video appearances, uh, which should be open for them as well. There, there's a ton of ways. Of course, there's e-commerce, there's merchandise, there's there's really no limit to what an athlete can do to generate revenue outside of a few key uh, rules, like I mentioned. Um, yeah, basically, the way the, the law was written in Florida was really free market driven. Um, there's even a clause in, in, the, in the Florida law that prohibits universities from creating rules that uh, hurt an athlete's ability to generate revenue in the future. So. Um, there's really a ton of opportunity and, uh, you know, at Dreamfield, we're just looking to help, uh, the athlete, uh, find ways to, to make money. Louis, is there a cap on how much they can earn? Is there, is it unlimited or is there any sort of cap that they have to stay under? In general, there's no cap. Um, the way the law is written, it's a little vague. Um, uh, it talks about market rate, which early on, there is no data to support, uh, what, a market rate is for a particular athlete. So that's going to probably be established over time uh, just based on uh, data analytics, but um, really outside of, of ensuring that, for example, take a, take a UCF running back that's averaging $500 an hour doing appearances. If, if someone comes up and offers $10,000, that'll be a little bit outside of that standard deviation. And that'll probably be flagged by a compliance officer but outside of that um, right now it's it there, there's no cap so i know you guys want to do good for the athletes and you're trying to help them out but there's got to be something in it for you how do you guys get paid do you charge the athlete for joining the group do you charge the businesses for finding them the athlete or do you just get a percentage when they make a deal together yeah so it's a great question and uh you know right now we're, we're still uh, refining the financial model, but 
Um, it's absolutely no cost to sign up as an athlete or as a business individual or fan or excuse me, individual or organization. Um, where we would generate revenue is a transaction fee, um, uh, you know, towards the, um, uh, the business as, as an over the top fee. And, and, you know, we're, we're looking at, at the athlete level, you know, if we're willing to, to charge a percentage of that, if we end up going that route, it, it'll be nominal. It won't be, won't be a large percentage, but um, right now we're, we're really playing with the uh, transactional fee on, on the uh, consumer side. But there is no contract that the athlete has to get into. So if they sign up with you guys, are they still allowed to make their own deals on their own somewhere else? Oh, absolutely. So in, in, in regards to an athlete on our platform, uh, there, there's no obligation. Um, they, they join our platform. They're able to uh, you know, participate in transactions. And any contracts that are generated are between the consumer and the athlete. We're, we're not part of the contract, but we facilitate it. Gotcha. So obviously you talked about the benefits to the, to the athletes. So to the cynic out there, why is uh, N- uh, NIL a bad thing? What's, what's the, what's the negative to it, to the, to the cynic fan out there? Uh, to the cynic fan. I mean, it's, it's, it's professionalizing um, the industry. I mean, you, you hear a lot about people saying, why they choose college sports over professional uh, about the, the pureness of the game. But, um, you know, in reality, you know, these athletes are human beings and they deserve to profit off of the product that they're, that they're creating. Um, and so every day they're, they're out there, they're sacrificing their body and their mind uh, for a sport that they love. And yet what the athlete or what the fans don't see is, that they struggle, uh, you know, they, they struggle to not everyone, but they struggle to, you know, pay their bills. Uh, I mean, it's great that the university covers their books and covers their tuition and housing, but they have car payments, they have insurance payments. They, you know, they do choose to eat outside of, you know, their meal plan. And so when you have a, a schedule like an athlete does where they're in the film room, they're on the field and practice, they're traveling for games and they're trying to take a full load of classes. It doesn't leave them a lot of time to, to work, to have a full-time job or even a part-time job. And so what this law will allow is the athlete's opportunity to find that extra revenue to get them through to the next level. And in reality, most, most of these athletes don't make it to the professional level. So this would be their only opportunity to make money off of game that, that they've sacrificed so much for. Obviously, I'm sure you guys did research as you kind of thought about setting this up, who uh, obviously the athletes are on the, on the other side, who do you think's on the other side? What, what sort of businesses or um, opportunities do you think uh, will have folks going to Dreamfield to try, try to find athletes? Will it be, you know, private parties will be small businesses. You know, what do you, or what, what's your research shown in terms of who will be looking uh, in the marketplace to be able to, to find athletes um, to, you know, to do any sort of endorsement or any sort of uh, appearance fee? Yeah, no, it's a great question. We've done, we've done a lot of research and uh, you know, we're, we're heavily looking at eight industries that, that are really focused on supporting this type of uh, transaction between athletes for appearances uh, I mean, it's everything from something you mentioned, automotive dealerships. That's a, that's a huge one. That's 
uh, you know, local businesses within university campuses, especially college, wash restaurants, nightclubs. Uh, th those are those are main drivers that have a lot of interest. Uh, health and fitness industry, and it, it's more than just gyms. It's um, you know, it's uh, promotional uh, events where they can get an athlete to participate in. Uh, you have youth sports organizations, so think YMCA, uh, soccer clubs uh, around town, uh, whatever it may be, bringing athletes in for tutorial or coaching opportunities. Um, you know, even on campus, uh, you know, organizations think uh, fraternities and sororities with their uh, annual philanthropies, uh, bringing athletes on to to support uh, and generate, you know, uh, money for for uh, charities. Uh, yeah, I could go on and on. Uh, there's, there's, there's really a, a ton of opportunities and there's a lot of businesses that have reached out just from the little we've done out there to, to market that have shown interest in, in participating in this. So, um, we're not worried about the, the business opportunities or, or the, the companies out there that want to participate. We think that there's going to be a lot of interest because, businesses understand that college football, the college baseball, the college basketball fans, um, you know, are, are, are exactly that they're fanatics and, and they're going to come out and they're going to support, they're going to come out to promotional events just to meet their favorite player. And so it's going to drive traffic for their, for their businesses. So, um, yeah. You mentioned fans as fanatics. Some of them are crazy. So, I, you're kind of doing the athlete a favor where they have to go through you and the athlete is not so exposed by maybe giving out their phone number directly to these people and, and who knows what, what else they're dealing with on the side, right? Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, touch on something I said earlier as far as safety and compliance being absolutely paramount to what we do. Um, we go through a two-step verification process for all the athletes so that businesses understand that they are talking to who they say they are uh, and then vice versa on the other end you know we go through um, a rigorous process with the businesses and organizations to verify they are who they are uh, i'm going to go through all the details they're pretty boring but uh, we really want to make sure that uh, businesses or individuals who represent themselves for these opportunities are who they say they are and uh, you know are validated uh, on our end so that the players can safely know that they're transacting. And then of course, like you mentioned, you know, one of our platform terms of service will be not sharing uh, personal information like cell phones, uh, cell phone numbers. So we actually are going to have um, in-house support group that, that really will work with the uh, businesses as well as this, the uh, student athletes. Uh, to make sure that the events happen properly. So uh, we, we act as middlemen. But you cannot provide actual security. Like, say, what's to say a group of crazy UCF fans from uh, posing as Cal fans and hiring the, the, the Cal quarterback for a, a barbecue or something and throwing down a bunch of money at having this guy come over and, uh, I don't know, feed him some bad chicken or something. There's no way you, <laughs> <Wow>. you can't <laughs> – you can't uh, – you can't provide security for these guys on every gig they go to, right? That's kind of on their own. So uh, we do have rules in place for where these events can take place. So um, the, the event has to take place either at at a business which has this, the you know the proper insurances in place and can indemnify uh, the athletes, or if an individual which 
we've gone back and forth on what the proper way to allow individuals to book. Um, it have to be a third party event venue. So think, uh, if you're doing an event at a hotel ballroom for 40th birthday, whatever it may be, uh, that hotel would have to indemnify the athlete. We would have to have a copy of the contract. So we're not, uh, our, our, our platform is not going to allow, you know, your, you know, uh, 12 year old's birthday party where you can book, uh, Dylan Gabriel to show up to a backyard party. Cause that, that would, uh, that would be an unsafe, uh, you know, situation. So, uh, you know, we're, we're going to do the best we can to, to keep it safe. Obviously we're not providing physical security. Um, but we do our best to make sure that the venue is, is an actual secure venue with insurance and, and you know, protection and everything like that. Uh, miss me how many I... people are working? At, how many people are starting? Is it just you and your buddy? You guys got a full team going? So we, we have three co-founders. We have our CTO, um, who is a, um, Kansas grad. So he, he's not a UCF or a Florida guy, uh, but excellent, excellent CTO. And then of course, um, Andrew Bledsoe, myself, uh, as co-founders, we have our director of partnerships. Who's going to be driving our sales, uh, gentleman by the name of Neil Carter. Uh, and then, uh, we actually have our director of finance. Uh, his name is Michael Ball. He's actually a UCF grad as well. Um, He's, he's not a co-founder, but he's he's a critical part of our team. And, uh, you know, we've, we've scoped out our workforce plan, obviously, as we uh, continue to raise our capital. Uh, and when the time is right, uh, we'll start making some uh, additional hires to our team. Uh, as far as when we're launching, the first available date is July 1st, 2021. That's the day we plan to, to go live. So the first day it's available and uh, we'll, we'll be staffed up by then. Yeah, I'm interested can, in some of the nuances, right? So, for for example, can um, or can are you allowed to wear uh, UCF or university gear when you're on one of your one of these gigs? So, great question. Uh, the state of Florida's law doesn't uh, specify that they cannot, but the NCAA rule that's going to be voted on this month uh, they haven't they haven't announced the date, but they're voting on it this month uh, does prohibit um, uh, use of uh, they, they call it university marks um, for for any sort of event or promotion. So it, if that passes, uh, basically the way it looks right now is uh, it, it would go live in August. Every state outside of Florida would not be allowed, their athletes would not be allowed to wear uh, university logos, but athletes in the state of Florida would. What about vice versa? What if, you know, Dylan Gabriel wants to st uh, start his own t-shirt line, which I think is something that's, that's out there on social media, right? Can he put UCF quarterback on there? Can he use UCF's branding on his own merchandise? Uh, I don't believe so. Um, that, that's, that I'm probably the best person to, to ask that question. I think it becomes a licensing issue with the university uh, themselves, but um, I'm probably not the best person to answer that one. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> Is there any, and, and do coaches or does, you know, AD have to sign off on anything? So again, what's, you know, I'll just use Dylan Gabriel because I just said his name, right? Let's say UCF's playing a night game at 7 p.m. And, you know, there's a there's a 9.30 a.m. photo shoot down at, you know, um, Bill Smith Dodge Toyota you know, Ram Chrysler Jeep. Does does Dylan have to run that past somebody? It's it's his free time. He can, he can kind of go as is. is. Are there any sort of stipulations or rules that kind of govern some of this stuff from a, from a team standpoint? 
Yeah, basically the way it's written is that the uh, university cannot hinder into the athlete's ability to to generate income from their NIL. Now, obviously, if 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 they're attending an event out during practice or a game or or something that's mandatory, you know, they could they could probably be suspended for for um, violating or you know or not showing up for activities, but. Uh, if it's their free time, they, they can't be stopped by the university uh, or coaches or anything like that. That would violate state law. And the last one, if so, if Dylan Gabriel does start his own T-shirt business, can he wear his Dylan Gabriel officially licensed T-shirt to UCF press conferences afterwards, to UCF events? Can he sort of wear that um, on campus or, or at UCF sanctioned events? Uh, that would probably be determined based on university rules that uh, dictate like a, like a dress code for for a certain uh, uh, media appearances. I'm not sure. Uh, as far as NIL, it doesn't, but as far as team rules, um, they, they may have a set structure that, that they have to wear the team logo. But once again, I'm probably not the best person on, on, on merchandising to answer it as far you know just all, all i can say is i don't see anything in the law that prohibits it but there could be um team policy that um that does well that's it yeah that's interesting yeah I, I i respect appreciate your answer on that that's interesting though in that um while while certainly there are some you know some things that you can do just based on the law you know schools potentially still have the ability to have some level of limitation which could be interesting to figure out you know how how certain schools handle that kind of stuff right um, in terms of what they'll allow you to do or wear or say or, or whatever. So um, while, you know, again, maybe an individual school decision, it could be interesting to see how that kind of shakes out as as more uh, more and more states get involved in sort of the, the NIL game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it, it's it's a little bit the wild west right now. Um, you know, there, there's going to be ups and downs and uh, schools are going to have to figure things out, um, you know, the, I wouldn't be shocked if, if things end up coming to light that nothing was anticipated where they end up amending rules or laws down the road just, just because it's, you know, it's such a new um, enterprise right now. So uh, we'll have to wait and see. Some things don't actually kick off to July 1st, but if I'm an athlete today, I can sign up on your website right now and get my information in there, get my background check and all this stuff done, ready to go. So right now, uh, athletes or even uh, individuals and businesses can go on our website and, uh, and sign up for more information. Uh, we'll be launching the site a little bit closer to July 1st. Uh, so right now we have, we have basically a landing page for, for sign up for more information. Um, transactions won't be allowed till July 1st, but you could always participate and sign up for, for the site without any issue. And you guys are based here in Florida, but you're doing it in all these states, all six states that are allowing it. You're going to be working with everybody, right? Uh, well, our hope is all 50 states. Uh, we'll, we'll see what how the NCAA bylaw, um, you know, if it passes uh, this month. If it does, uh, we're going to have to gear up and, and go uh, go light speed to, to make sure that we could uh, support all 50 states. But uh, right now, we know for a fact July 1st, state of Florida only. And we're going to be geared up and ready to go and support the uh, college athletes in, in state of Florida. 
Louis, I was trying to do some research, but it failed me as you were talking. I, I seem to remember UCF launching something about um, an initiative where they were going to offer, um, you know, some sort of a maybe guidance. I think it was kind of vague, but I, I feel like I, I remember hearing them uh, launching or announcing that they're going to launch something that helps students along these lines as well, too. Do you have any insight on what that is and sort of how that dovetails and or maybe is, is counter against what you guys are doing at Dreamfield? Yeah, so it, it's it's not facilitating NIL activity, but it's more from an educational standpoint. And I'm sure someone from the school would probably speak uh, better to, I believe the program is called launch and, and every university I believe is coming out with the program. Uh, essentially one thing that, that wasn't mentioned during, uh, during our discussion already was that um, the Florida law uh, requires uh, financial literacy and life skill workshops. Uh, for the athletes, and it's a required five hours, uh, I believe, the first year and the third year of their attendance at the university. So from my understanding, that's what that program is. It's it's that uh, education for NIL. Uh, but once again, I, I would hopefully you could have uh, someone from the school, uh, you know, join the podcast and maybe shed a little bit better light than I have on it. Um, but that's that's what I've been able to sort of figure it out from it. Well, let's get into the fun stuff. So, uh, what year did you graduate UCF? Two thousand four. Okay. You have a a favorite all time uh, UCF sports memory, something that kind of sticks in uh, sticks with you. Yeah, I do. I have plenty. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I mean, the, the the easy one would be ending the Peach Bowl um, two years back, twenty what January first, twenty eighteen. Um, but uh, I would say. My favorite memory was being in Philly for the 2013, the cash, JJ nice. Wharton. Okay. Uh, I was there. Uh, it was incredible. <laughs> and, uh, most... Your last year, we didn't win a game. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, you, you go back almost as far as us. So you were there early 2000s, the Schneider era. Is that your guy? Or who's your favorite uh, player from that? My favorite player from back then. Yeah, you know, Schneider actually went to South Plantation. And I'm St. Thomas Aquinas guy. So, uh, whoa, in high school, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. We're Cardinal Gibbons guys. Oh, oh really? Okay. Yeah. So, Schneider played against us and, uh, and beat us, I, I want to say, my senior year, uh, my junior senior year. And, and you know, St. Thomas doesn't lose many games. Uh, so uh, that stood out to me. And then I, I, I ended up going to UCF, and, and he's our quarterback. So I didn't know exactly how to feel. Uh, but I would say Alex Haynes uh, was probably my favorite player during my time in college. That's a great Yeah, that's a good answer. Uh, so it seems like UCF fan base nowadays is it, either on one side of the fence or the other. Uh, are you uh, are you pro-hypo or are you anti-hypo? I, I mean, I, I would say I'm pro-hypo. Uh, I mean – it, it, he's he's done a great job. I, I mean, it, it's not perfect, but uh, you know, I I really think we have we have a great team. We just had some unlucky bounces, and uh, and uh, you know, I, let's see how he does next year. So uh, I'll put it that way. Well, then that means you're probably on the other side of this question. Are you pro Randy Shannon or anti Randy Shannon? So I will admit, um, before I went to UCF. I was a uh, diehard Miami Hurricane fan growing up, uh, and uh, I remember watching him play uh, back when you know when I was a kid. And uh, I remember him as defensive coordinator for Miami, so I was always a fan of him. Um, 
you know, I see a lot on the, uh, you know, on the message boards of how people feel. I'm sort of neutral on it. I, I just don't know enough to, to really have, uh, you know, opinion if it's, you know, if it's his scheme or if it's the players. I mean, his scheme, I, I don't know. Um, I, I'm trying to be diplomatic. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we can, you, we got you there. We can read between the lines. <laughs> are you pretty active on your own personal Twitter? Or do you consider yourself part of the UCF Twitter mafia or you kind of stay off that stuff? Man, I'm too old. <laughs> I, I, I tried Twitter years ago. Um, I, I kind of quit on it. Um, and, and then, you know, because of Dreamfield, I started back up. But um, I, I've never really been a, you know, a, a Twitter guy. I'm more of an Instagram posting pictures of my of my two-year-old. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of lame like that. <laughs> no, I'm with you. I never that's had all Twitter I until, until we started this uh, podcast and. That's basically all I use it for. Yeah, I, I made <laughs> yeah. I made Mike get a Twitter, and, and sometimes I regret uh, that decision always. But uh, but uh, <laughs> uh, Lewis, we appreciate you taking some time to, to educate us a little bit on uh, on NIL, uh, and then uh, also to, to talk a little bit about what you guys are doing. I'll give you give you some time for for one final plug if you want to tell folks where they can uh, find out more about Dreamfield, where they can follow you guys on social media, uh, and anything else you want to share about the business. Yeah, absolutely. So you know you can follow us on Instagram at Dreamfield Co. Uh, you can follow us as well on Twitter at Dreamfield Co. Uh, on Facebook, it's Dreamfield.co. Um, and then, of course, our website is Dreamfield.co. So uh, I look forward to connecting with, with the UCF fans. And, uh, and uh, you know, that's it. Awesome. Well, we'll, uh, we'll certainly keep tabs on you, and hopefully we'll catch up with you down the road. Best of luck to, to you and all the, uh, all the folks over there at Dreamfield. And uh, um, if we can help you out in the future, be sure to let us know, okay? Sounds good. Appreciate it, guys. I'm Jeff Allen. Join me each week for unique yet common sense opinions on sports on the Jeff Allen Sports Talk Podcast. We will break down the sports world minus the hot takes with prominent guests and my stable of sports guys. It's sports conversation the way it should be. Search Jeff Allen Sports Talk wherever you get your podcasts or go to JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. This is UCF Athletic Director Danny White, and if you don't want to be the cow of the week, you need to listen to Adam and Mike on the Sons of UCF. Charge on. Go Knights. All right, let's do, uh, let's do the cows, Mike. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that uh, momentarily. Uh, big thanks to Louis Pardillo um, from Dream uh, Dreamfield for hopping on and educating us. Uh, Mike, an interesting space. Again, one I don't know that I fully understand, one I know that you don't know that you fully understand yet either. Uh, there's a lot to continue to be understood, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how it all shakes out. But I'm glad that uh, Lewis could uh, could hop on. We wish those guys well, UCF alum. So we always root for fellow UCF guys. It's going to be an exciting time if you're a college athlete, though. I mean, coming in and you can start making money now as an 18-year-old because they don't even let you have jobs when you're on these teams. Now, if you're a big-time player, you can start making some money before you become pro. That's got to be cool, and cool that – the guys that are going to help them do it are UCF guys. So glad to help Lewis and I hope that he has a lot of success with this thing. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to be crusty old man though. And just say, uh, I just hope it doesn't get in the way of the football. <laughs> you know what I mean? In the, and I, I mean, in the sense of like, last thing I want to see is like right before the big game, you know, the star quarterback gets, you know, gets suspended for a game because he took the wrong endorsement or he wore this gear and this commercial, like, 
you know, I, I just feel like that would drive me up a wall if, if you're starting to see that impact games. And while it's certainly a myopic and selfish view, I think that's the only thing I'm concerned about is, you know, all the rules and regulations is it being governed. And, you know, if a kid makes a dumb decision, you know, is it going to impact, you know, what I care most about? And that's the team. Yeah, there's going to be some stupid uh, quirks to the rules. And he was even saying every stage is different. So <laughs> who knows if you can do something here at UCF, you may not be able to do it in Michigan. Uh, could be crazy times for the first couple of years when they get it all figured out. Sure will. But again, make sure you check out what they're doing at Dreamfield. If you want to get involved in any way, shape, or form, uh, I'm sure you can reach out to those guys and they can uh, hook you up. One uh, glaring omission, Mike, I made. We had the segment earlier where we talked about who was coming back, who was not coming back. One glaring name I didn't put on that list was Parker Boudreau, who we did not see at all this year. He, he was actually on the sidelines against Memphis but never got in a game. Uh, he's posting a lot of pictures now. He's getting a lot of likes and a lot of retweets from folks in the wrestling community. And I don't mean just like fanboys. I mean like actual people who work for wrestling organizations. So all the rumors about him potentially maybe signing a contract or trying to go that route um, are, are still out there. I don't, we haven't seen anything from him. It doesn't seem like he's uh, been active or around. He hasn't made any of those fancy announcements yet. So Parker Boudreau could be another name that uh, we see exiting UCF. Um, another guy who's graduated at this point. Uh, so he could essentially take his, uh, his, his final year if he wanted to, but it uh, looks like he might be moving on. But moving on to where may be the most interesting part about all that. He's one of these guys we talked about when he first came over here, and we talked about how he looked just like Brock Lesnar, and we weren't the only ones. He was getting a lot of looks from the wrestling guys back then. And good for him, man. He's good. You can make a lot of money as a wrestler. I mean, there's some famous guys. Look at The Rock. He became a movie star. Now, the only thing I'm not sure of is only because we haven't seen a lot of it. We haven't seen him do a lot of interviews and stuff. What's his personality really like? That has a lot to do with how successful you are as a wrestler. Because not only is it the physical stuff and doing all the moves and being a huge guy, but being able to be good on that microphone and really stir up the fans, that's where he's going to have to... I mean, I don't know if he has to get better at because I don't know how he is now, but that's going to be determined how much how successful he is. All right, let's go Cal of the Week. And before we do that, I should remind everybody that Mike is a New York Giants fan. Mike, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is an easy one for me. Oh, man. So yesterday we, we were in a thrilling game in the afternoon. Giants-Cowboys classic. Last game of the season. Winner is still alive. Loser is out. And Giants end up winning that game, and I'm all excited for a couple hours. Then I realize I have to root for a team that I hate more than almost any. I, I think actually I hate the Eagles more than any, more than the Cowboys and more than the Redskins. I've always hated the Eagles, even as a little kid. Even when the Giants were really good with Lawrence Taylor and those guys, the years they won Super Bowls, they still had hard times with there was a Randall Cunningham teams and uh, I just always had a thing. The Buddy Ryan defense and all that. Um, I just hate those guys. And last night I had a root for them. And you know what? For a little while, it was looking all right. Washington jumps out to a 10-point lead, and the Eagles come storming back. Jalen Hurts can't be stopped on the ground. They take a 14-10 lead, and I'm saying, oh, my God, the, the Eagles are actually going to get us into the playoffs. And then they give up a touchdown right before the half, which, all right, still within three. They have a drive there at the end of the third quarter. They get down to the goal line. And I knew this idiot was going to go for it. 
before third down. I said, oh, he's probably going to go for it on fourth down. And he did. He didn't get it. Had a chance to tie the game at 17. And then in the fourth quarter, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Um, Nate Sudfeld. What is a Nate Sudfeld? I'd never heard of a Nate Sudfeld before. He takes out Jalen Hurts with a chance to win the game, retire the game, at least going into the fourth quarter. And he puts in Nate Sudfeld. Sudfeld immediately comes in, throws an interception. Next possession comes in, drops a snap for a fumble. The guy looked like he's never played football before. And this is the guy we're counting on to put us in the playoffs. If he was going to do this, I wish he would have just done it at the beginning of the game. Let Sudfeld start the game. I would have gone to bed at 8 o'clock. Instead, I'm up fourth quarter. I find this news out. It's already 11. I'm already invested into this game. Ah, what a disappointment. But, I mean, looking at it from an Eagles perspective, I, I said this to my wife, too, last night. I was like, if I was an Eagles fan, I'd be laughing my ass off, <laughs> knowing that I, I kept the Giants out this way. Uh, but to me, he's a cow. Just, I, I hate the Eagles. I hate Doug Peterson. And I hate that they kept us out of the playoffs because of this stupid decision. Yeah, I was curious. I watched a little bit of it um, just because, obviously, you mentioned earlier, I'm a Cowboys fan. That didn't work out very well, so I had nothing invested. So I watched a little bit of it, and, you know, Hurts wasn't playing well. The Giants were playing okay. I figured the, you know, the Giants were going to win on that merit alone. Uh, and then uh, I woke up to see all of the Nate Sudfeld trendingness. And uh, the Eagles are sticking by their story that, the, you know, the plan all along was to get good old Nate Sudfeld, a four-year player, who hadn't seen the field ever before, apparently, uh, to get good old Nate Sudfeld a couple of reps in there because, quote-unquote, he had earned it, and uh, and obviously that didn't work out. And, oh, by the way, Mike, the Eagles went from having the ninth pick in the draft to having the sixth pick in the draft. And the, the Redskins kept trying to hand the ball back to him. <laughs> they kept turning the ball over. The Eagles with a couple of interceptions in that game and couldn't do anything with it. I was just waiting for Hurts to come back. And like I said, you – he wasn't throwing that much against him, but he was running on him, and he scored a couple of touchdowns with his feet. All he needed to do was get in field goal range to tie the game, or they were down. They ended up down six. I mean, one drive, one drive, and he could have ran in for another touchdown. And I'd be talking about Giants against Tom Brady on Saturday night, which would have been fun for me. I, I know we got some Tampa fans that listen to this. I know our friend Ben Stout is a big Tampa fan, but. I wouldn't have been that scared of Tampa. I don't think Tampa's that great. So it, w- it would have been an exciting game. I think the Giants could have muddied it up for those guys. And now football season's over. College, NFL, I got nothing left. Uh, I don't know, pitchers and catchers report in what, <laughs> six, six weeks? <laughs> Something like that? That's the little thing. Yeah, you know, obviously uh, now I don't have a horse in the race. Um so I don't know what I'll do. I try not to root for the uh, the Washington football team, as they're called now. I get so confused because I want to have their initials be WTF, but it's really WFT. WTF would be so much better. Uh, Alex Smith's a good story, though, so maybe you root for Alex Smith to, to play well. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was it was curious. Obviously, the, the Eagles are going to do what the Eagles are going to do. Uh, keep it. And either way, that's a... Uh, that's a terrible division, Mike. I don't even know if I'd be proud to hang a uh, <laughs> NFC East division champ banner in my uh, in my stadium, but uh, who knows? Says I'm a Cowboys fan, and we don't know what that's about these days. Um, my Cow of the Week, Mike. I'm going to go to our good friend, our good buddy, uh, uh, former – I don't know if we've ever actually called this guy out on the show before, but the head coach of your Cincinnati Bearcats, one Luke Fickle, 
who had his team uh, playing well in the New Year's Day uh, six game. They were playing the Georgia Bulldogs. They were holding their own. They were winning for a long time. You got a lot of those graphics about Cincinnati earning respect for the group of five and look at this team here and they deserve a chance in the playoffs. All of that A was just nauseating. And if you want to hear more of my thoughts on that, go back like two shows where I demanded my restitution for everybody who forgot, by the way, that UCF did uh, went undefeated two uh, regular seasons in a row and still didn't even sniff uh, the playoff. But that notwithstanding, uh, so, you, you know, Georgia is, is not playing well, Mike. I, they did not play well. Cincinnati had a really good game plan. Uh, and, uh, and and here's the deal. They uh, Cincinnati has the ball, and they're, they're driving. And uh, it's a late game situation, Mike. Late game. Uh, Georgia has to – they're down two. They have to punt. Uh, so they end up punting the ball. Uh, Cincinnati gets the ball back, Mike. And for reasons known only to Cincinnati, on a moving clock, they snap the ball – on two different occasions, once with 12 seconds still on the clock and once with 10 seconds on the clock. So they essentially saved 22 seconds right there for Georgia. That brings, uh, that forces Georgia uh, to essentially then um, uh, take a timeout. Uh, and so they, uh, the next play out of that, it's a third, uh, it's a third down and two. And what does Cincinnati do? They throw like a 30 yard bomb down the field that goes incomplete. Uh, which essentially now saves, uh, stops the clock at 141. So saves uh, Georgia another 40 seconds. So 62 seconds in total right there that Luke Fickle just gave back to the Bulldogs, who uh, summarily then uh, went down after uh, Cincinnati had to punt and uh, drove down the field, kicked a game-winning 54-yard field goal, and Georgia walks out with the win 24-21. to It was a last-second uh, safety on there, which makes it seem like it was closer than it was. Uh, 24-21 Georgia win. Mike Luke Fickle chokes away 62 seconds and gives the game over to Georgia. What an idiot. <laughs> yes. And then his his press conference afterwards, people were asking him about it and didn't seem to have a good answer. He, he kind of questioned the guy questioning him. Um, man, the only bad thing about this, well, I mean, it depends on how you look at it, I guess. But the only bad thing is, does this cost him a better job? Was he about to leave Cincinnati or teams looking at him and saying, now, can we trust this guy to be our head coach? Like, Was he in line? Uh, he could have been in line for a bigger job, right? Well, I think now that's, maybe people are second guessing. Yeah, that's that's to be determined, right? Because here's the challenge. So now um, you mentioned the NFL season's over. It's it's per, uh, commonly known as Black Monday in the NFL season, the, the, the day where a bunch of coaches get fired. We've already seen that uh, that happening. We've seen rumors around there right now. Uh, there's some rumors that Dan Mullen of the uh, Florida Gators is interested in going to the pros, and he's open to taking interviews. Uh, Pat Fitzgerald from uh, Northwestern, he's a potential uh, guy who may do some interviews as well. There, Ryan Day at Ohio State essentially said he's not going to interview, but you know who the heck knows, right? And what else is he going to say? Um, so who knows if any of those jobs pop open? You know, if, if Ryan Day leaves. Um, Ohio State, you know, Fickle was at Ohio State for a number of years. I mean, does that make sense? Um, you know, if any of these other jobs pop open, does he, you know, become the replacement out of Florida, uh, out of Northwestern? Maybe it makes more sense for him. So I don't know that he's fully out of it just yet, but, and, and you know, and I think it all depends on, on what happens with some of these NFL uh, coaching opens right now. Yeah, Ohio State would be the place. He would leave there in a second to go to Ohio State. But uh, doesn't yeah. look like that's going to open. Uh, hmm, Dan Mullen leaving is interesting. I, I don't know how I feel about that because I don't really think Dan Mullen is that great of a coach. I kind of think he's an idiot, and 
I don't think they're going to win big with him there, so I kind of wouldn't earn him to leave. But uh, I don't know, man. Yeah, he kind of is. Yeah, an I think idiot. Fickle kind of screwed himself. Yeah, I don't know if that's. You know, I don't know if that play call cost him a job. I think he just. You know, he's probably not going to get an opportunity just be, just based on the timing of some stuff too. But by the way, Dan Mullen is definitely an idiot. No need to think about that. He, he certainly is an idiot. After he lost uh, to uh, Oklahoma, I think it was, in the Cotton Bowl, he was basically like, "Well, we should. We didn't have to play at all. You know, we decided we didn't want to. We we came here to play." He just has every excuse in the book. He was another good option for Cal Week. A lot of good Cal Week options this week. A lot of a lot of, a lot of people. Yeah, out there yeah, really Mullen could have easily been. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. Uh, and how about Fickle also? Before the game, I know his coach speaking all this stuff and he has bulletin board material, but saying that Georgia was the best team he's played since he's been at Cincinnati. What about that 2018 UCF team that beat the crap out of him? Yeah, yeah. he also got they got sh- they got shut out 42 nothing at Ohio State last year too. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, a little, little. I mean, yeah, it's coach speak. It's a little shade coach speak, but. I, I just look, I mean, I, I know I was supposed to be the, the conference guy and root for Cincinnati. I just couldn't do it. I was just so, because all throughout the game, as I'm watching it, and I wasn't watching intently, it was on the background as I was putting together a bunch of stuff for the family here. Um, and all throughout, it was like, and this Cincinnati team, you know, really take group of five. And it was just so annoying because it's like literally two years, uh, two years ago, we did the exact same thing and more. Um, and it's already been like Britain forgotten. And Cincinnati was going to be that team that's going to break through and, it was really kind of annoying me throughout the game. And then obviously, luckily they, they kind of choke it away, uh, which is, but which is helpful, but I think they did it in the best possible way because I think they still got some respect for themselves. They still got some respect for the group of five, but they didn't quite pull off the victory. If they had lost 42 to nothing, it'd have been like, Oh great, here we go. Um, and if they had won, it maybe, you know, it would have been you know bad for me, at least in my opinion. But I think this is actually the best possible outcome is that, you know, they, they kept it close. They actually probably should have won the game. You can look at one bad decision as to why they didn't, and uh, you know we still get to keep our our you know whatever status we have as a group of five team intact. And we're still the last group of five team to win one of these bowl games, right? Because we lost in eighteen, Memphis lost last year, these guys lost this year, so that seventeen team is still the last one. Yeah, they put up a graphic during the during the game on teams from the group of five who won New Year's six bowl games. Boise had two, um, we had two, and I think Houston had the other one. Um, and uh, fifteen maybe or sixteen, um, but yeah, we, we, we're UCF uh, two uh, two two victories on there. And I think Utah at the time, I think was uh, yeah. You're right. Sorry, Utah's the other one, but they're now a quote unquote right. power five. But yes. Uh, well, hopefully it's not too much longer before we're back. We're due about every three or four years. Remember, 2010 was a well, actually go back to 2007 which was a big year for us. We got the new stadium and made a conference championship game, won the conference. 2010, three years later, we won the conference, won the first bowl game against Georgia. And three years after that, it was the Fiesta Bowl against Baylor. And then four years after that was the Peach Bowl. And now we're coming up now. And this year coming up will be the four years after the Peach Bowl. We're due, right? This is going to be our year now. It, let's do it. Yeah, I mean, uh, schedule's already probably much out, Mike. It's just a matter of time before we predict another 12-0 and 0 season. So uh, just just, just tune in back in, in, in like, <laughs> August, and we'll do that again. It's a, a tradition unlike any other. I'll probably pick Marlon Williams again for my breakthrough player of the year. You know, you'll pick us to go 12-0. and 0. It'll be the good old times again. Uh, we still have, though, a long eight or nine months uh, before we get there. But don't you worry, because we here at the Sons of UCF, we will keep you as entertained 
and as informed as we can. Probably more entertained than informed, but either way, uh, we'll uh, we'll always keep uh, keep things lighthearted around here. Put some shows out for you. Uh, hopefully, you enjoyed this one. A bit of a unique one, getting a more of an educational tour uh, through the uh, NIL stuff. But uh, uh, don't forget Hoops Team uh, Tuesday night. Uh, Memphis coming to town that's on ESPNU so make sure you tune in to that one uh, after that on Saturday the 9th uh, you will see uh, you will see UCF at Tulsa so uh, things never go well in Tulsa so a couple games and hoops this week and uh, obviously if there's more football news Mike will talk about all that stuff too on an all new episode of the Suns UCF next week uh, but uh, until then I guess everybody should really have a, a really a good week out there Mike what do you think yeah, let's make some history in Tulsa on Saturday night. We never won there in football or basketball. Now's as good a time as any to break that curse. So let's do it, and then hopefully by the next time we play there in football, we'll win the game here. That's it. The first show of 2021 is in the books, my friend. Hopefully there will be uh, 51 more to go. But uh, I'm exhausted thinking about that. So we're going to let you guys get on with the rest of whatever it is you're getting on with right now. And we will talk to you all very, very soon. Everybody, have a great week. Go Knights. Charge on. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.